You are now listening to Sanity at the Movies, Spider-Man edition. Yeah. Oh, man. Right. You're probably listening to it on the World Wide Web. Ooh. Here I am slinging gold already in this <laughs> podcast. You know, I literally, I literally can't remember the name of this movie. I know it has home in it because they all have home in it, right? Hey, No Way Home. You know. No Way Home. Yeah. It's really confusing to my adult, like, going into middle age brain for there to be three Spider-Man movies that all have Spider-Man colon something home. I don't think, I guess, let me see if I can actually do it. So this is, you just said Far From Home? No. No. No Way Home. No Way Home. And then Far From Home is the one where he falls in love with Zendaya and it's boring and Jake Gyllenhaal's in it. Yep. And then Homecoming? Yep. Okay. I guess if it was more... Oh, well, folks, we're not here to litigate the home things. We're here to litigate a Spider-Man movie that the world loves. Yeah, a movie that cracks open the multiverse. It's mm-hmm. creative and inventive and colorful and full of heart. Well, somebody came Pulls with- together an ensemble <laughs> cast of lovable and relatable characters from across Spider-Man history while telling the story of the sweetest Spider-Man we've all had to date. A Spider-Man who actually has a father figure that loves him and helps him put his best foot forward in life. Miles Morales. And the check from Disney <laughs> just Spider-Man. cleared. I got the text. This is great. We Spider-Man read the copy. Into, no, no, Sony. Sony. Sony Spider-Man sorry. Into the Spider-Verse. I was going to say, yeah, Disney didn't. Are, are we talking about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? That's what I was talking about. I see what you did there, Jake. Oh, brother. Hey, guys. How long will it take me to say ritual decoupled from meaning? <laughs> you know what? Let's not start out on a... We're talking about Spider-Man, not Snarky Man. I'm waiting for the essay that you've prepared for this one, given what you did to Spider-Verse. I mean, my goodness. Once you've toppled the king, (laughs) you don't really have to go after Duke Homebody or whatever this movie's called. (laughs) Listen, listen, guys, we need to get this podcast off on the right foot and under control. So let me introduce us and we'll get into it. My name is Nathan. I'm your humble and obedient host. We've got uh, Benjamin Sulzer right there. None other than the preacher who's a teacher of cinema. It's me. And uh, avid spider fan. I am. Just spider of spiders, fan, like you, you see spider them fan. in the corner of your house or... Does everything that a fan can. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do what a fan could or what a fan can, but I'm here. Do you do things that fans can? Sure do blow a lot of hot air. Yeah. Oh, ouch. <laughs> you certainly do put spins on things in this podcast. All right. <laughs> I have nothing to say to that. Well, uh, Ben, you have an opportunity now to introduce the man that just accused you of blowing hot air. <laughs> hey, you know, he, he set himself up for it. I did. I did. I'm happy to circulate the hot air of the other men in this room around. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's Jake Menzel, the, 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 what is he? The pastor who's a master of cinema. Cinema, yeah. Uh, thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. Right up there with Steven Spielberg and other living masters of cinema. Mm-hmm. Yep. <sighs> Guys, we're here to talk about Spider-Man. No Way Home. I, I literally couldn't have done it without you. I, I don't think, I was going to say Far From Home. It's so dumb. It's so, but but you know what? It, uh, there's there's lots of great movies with terrible titles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I've not had any trouble with this title. What's a, I want to prove my point. What's an example of a great movie with a terrible title? Uh, having trouble here. Yeah. UHF. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Here, I'll see what the internet says. Great movies, terrible titles. I wrote terrible, but I'm sure it'll figure terrible. it out. Uh, I still know what you did last summer. Yeah, that's a that's a great movie with yeah. a terrible title. Whoa! What was that? Someone's trying to sell me insurance. Uh, Quantum of Solace. Too fast, too serious. F- serious. <laughs> too fast, too serious. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, there's one sin that that movie committed. It was that it was too serious. Uh, to Wong Fu, thanks for anything, Julia. Numer- okay, all right, folks, this isn't going us anywhere. What we need to do, though, is talk about Spider-Man. No way, no way home. home. No way home. Hopefully we have a spider plan for... <laughs> well, uh, why don't we give a, give our own personal histories all right. with Spider-Man? I, we've talked about this in other places because mm-hmm. we've talked about Spider... But, but very quickly, just to recap, Ben, what's your complete history with Spider-Man? Oh, Spider-Man was always my favorite superhero growing up. I remember at my elementary school, we had little digests. These are these are old school things. They're not full comic book size. They're little digests and they were Spider-Man stories. And they're pretty kid-friendly. Like the 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 least grody superhero comics, maybe. Mm-hmm. And they were just really fun. So I waited a long time as a kid to see Spider-Man. I was really disappointed by the Tobey Maguire movies because they were just too campy for me. I was all about something else i guess i don't know what you would have uh, been in like college by then right mm, i would have been your early see. 20s at least no and spider-man the first one was what 2001 yeah you're not that much so i was that would that would have been the year i started college yeah. so graduate high school start college the year that spider-man comes out sam Raimi spider-man okay but over time i it was actually when i watched spider-man 3 that golden masterpiece mm-hmm. of sam Raimi and toby <laughs> mcguire i i realized well, whatever. It was great. I loved it because it was unabashedly cheesy and ridiculous and dumb in a way that was really fun. And and, and that's when I started liking the earlier Spider-Man movies, which were better movies. You suddenly realized what they were doing. I realized what they were doing because this one was so full throttle that it just, I was like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. this, is, this is fun. This is campy. This, I like this melodrama. Spider-Man 3 is a messy, badly put together movie with a lot of fun stuff in it. You like it when things go full throttle. You're like Charlie's Angels. <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't going to say it, Nathan, for a lot of reasons, but you did. Uh, and anyway, so when, when Amazing Spider-Man comes out, came out, that was more the tone I was looking for. But Amazing Spider-Man, well, it's not my least favorite Spider-Man movie. I'll tell you what is later, but it's one of them. Couldn't stand it. Amazing Spider-Man 2 was what I was looking for. I know. I'm done apologizing for it. It's it's another mess of a movie. It is just a mess. But it also has some of the best Spider-Man scenes and moments and images of any Spider-Man movie. Andrew Garfield is my favorite as Spider-Man. And that movie just just hit whatever I wanted as a kid. It got it in so many ways. But, by the way, can I just interrupt to say it really Interrupt. Quick? Spoilers! We're going to talk spoilers. Yeah. Because I almost just good. said a spoiler. That's a pretty big spoiler. So Good, good idea. Uh, just just in case you're like a 13-year-old boy who cares about such things, ah, I shouldn't make fun of people that care about spoilers. I care about spoilers, too. Yep. Although I do think like the whole this. culture of, you didn't say spoilers, can be a little bratty sometimes. But, yes, this podcast will be full of some mm-hmm. massive spoilers starting good. as early as now. Cool. Because I wanted to say... Andrew Garfield makes a good case for being the best Spider-Man in this very film that we're discussing today. Cool. Yep. Anyway, continue. All right. That's most of what I have to say. Spider-Verse was awesome. It's great. 
What about Tom Holland Part One, Tom Holland Part Two, and Tom Holland in the Avengers? I I like Tom Holland as Spider Man. I my my favorite. I, I got a real shot of adrenaline when he showed up in Civil War and was fantastic and was the most fun part of that movie. Yeah, like by far, and just a super cool Spider Man, just taking everyone out, playing on a can team. Handle Cap can sort of like. Handle Falcon and the Winter Soldier at, at the, the same, same time, time without making, breaking a sweat. While making jokes. <laughs> while making jokes. It was the most fun. It was just like, this guy is perfect for this. This is awesome. Oh, wow. Is your, your, how's, how's your jetpack work? <laughs> You're, you have a metal arm? <laughs> That's awesome. That's so cool. <laughs> they're just so irritated <laughs> that they're just being tossed around by this dumb teenager. And that's that's wonderful stuff. Yeah. And, to, and to my mind, that was a promise that Homecoming didn't fulfill. And... I do need to give Homecoming another shot. I've seen it once. I just didn't. It just didn't do much for me. I recognize that it's it it's, it has some good stuff dramatically. Michael Keaton's great. It has a good father storyline. Two dads, kind of. And it, anyway, I think it. I think it probably is a good movie. And I'm I'm unfair. But the second one, it was okay. Jake Gyllenhaal's fine. It was fluff. It, I don't know. I was. I haven't gone back to that one either. And then we come to this one, and I'll save. I'll save that. So I love Spider Man. I like a lot of them. I like some of them that other people don't like, like Spider-Man 3 and Amazing Spider-Man 2. Mm-hmm. I, like, I like some that everyone likes, like Spider-Verse. So, so there you go. Jake, your spider thoughts? I was a DC kid growing up. Superman was my dude. I was in late high school when the Raimi-verse started to hit. I was still too cool for school when it came to superhero things, but I ended up getting drug, I think, to the drive-in to see the Raim- the first Raimi Spider-Man, and I liked it okay. And then I just kind of kept watching and enjoyed and liked and had some affection for Toby Spider-Man. When Amazing Spider-Man came out, I felt like it was too soon, and I wasn't ready to relive the origin story stuff, but I did also like Andrew Garfield as mm-hmm. Spider-Man way better. They did a better job of getting the quippy, fun mm-hmm. side of Spider-Man in. Yeah, that very that once one scene in the first one. Oh, you've got a knife. My <laughs> my weakness, you know. That, that, that was like yeah, yeah, yeah. that. That scene was like, yeah, like there are things about Spider Man and what's cool about Spider Man, especially as the alter ego for the dorky Peter Parker, that this movie understands and cares about more than Raimi ever did. And, mm-hmm. and so I was there for that. And then I think I probably just hated Amazing Spider Man too when it first came out because it was such a terrible mess of a movie. But I do agree with Ben that it has the single best Spider-Man moments in across all of movie history. Mm-hmm. In that it has some of the best scenes and some of the best Spider-Man moments to the point where I was at the I was at a Christmas party not long ago and with family. The people who know my history with Superman know that Superman's a thing for me. And so I was asked who my favorite Superman was outside of Christopher Reeve. And I said, Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2. Because <laughs> I feel the same way about him in that movie. Is I, like he's the closest thing to somebody that's evoked the same feelings across any superhero movie. That's the scene where he saves a little kid. He's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the scene. Well, it's the scene with Max mm. where he stops in the uh-huh. middle of this chase, uh-huh. saves Max, picks up Max's blueprints, notices his name, mm-hmm. fixes his hair, <laughs> Gives him a little, you're my eyes and ears out here, buddy. 
moment. Mm-hmm. And then when he when he steps in in front of the kid and the bullies and fixes his wind, that's a wind turbine, and he fixes it. Oh, it's yeah. so cool. Can I can I walk you home? What's your name? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like stuff. And then that kid shows up at the end right. of that movie when he's like all checked out, and that kid's gonna go. He's learned the lesson. You stand between the the good guys and the bad guys, and he's gonna stand in front of Rhino or whatever. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, the Spider-Man who cares and actually sees it as uh, important being the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man mm-hmm. and being more than just, I'm gonna save, you know, I'm gonna get your bike from the bike thief or I'm gonna save the old lady's purse from being stolen, but actually cares about that that person, the whole person. Super sweet. So I love, I love a lot about Garfield Spider-Man and I always have. And I've only grown to love him more, I think, over time. I also really love Tom Holland's Spider-Man. I loved him in Civil War. I loved Homecoming. I thought it was probably, I still put probably Homecoming up there as one of the best Spider-Man movies. Well beneath the greatest Spider-Man movie of all time, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. But not everything can live up to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, a great creative clever spider-man oh, I don't movie think jake's, jake's smirk isn't coming through the <laughs> microphone <so. laughs> it's colorful it's got great action mm. it's pulls together a great ensemble cast has tons of yep. heart it's got a good moral center which one are we talking about <laughs> spider-man into the spider-verse uh-huh. it's a wonderful life so yeah i've come to really love Spy- Spy- spider-man to the point that i answered that spider-man was my favorite superhero at a at a different recent christmas party so yeah. in, in that sense, I think it's hard for me to admit that, but I think it's true. Spider-Man really has in a lot of ways displaced Superman and any other original love for the Captain America, maybe of the early stages of the MC. Well, Spider-Man's the only hero that can actually do that kind of sweet, personable, he loves people and actually saves people stuff because he's got he's street smart and quippy enough that we can still accept that. Whereas it's really hard to do Superman or Captain America without some level of irony. Yeah, or playing sideways. Playing sideways. It. But Spider-Man can actually still do that stuff. So there's a reason he's displaced those guys. Yeah. And and if if we would just get the straight ahead sincere Superman and Captain America and not have to play sideways to them, yeah. mm-hmm. that'd be great. Yeah. I'd love it. But yeah. that's just not, that's not what anybody's going to do anymore. So Nope. So, you know, that's sort of my bad. I guess there's probably bigger MCU baggage, which is I'm, I've been checked out of the MCU for pretty much the whole year. I think that's all of our baggage. Mm-hmm. I think Shang-Chi was a final straw. I think WandaVision collapsing was a final straw. Falcon and Winter Soldier never. I, I, I guess it's not really a final straw if there's a thousand final straws. Yeah. No. But the death blows, some of the death blows for me were WandaVision collapsing on episode four after having a lot of promise. Loki collapsing on episode eight after having a lot of promise. Shang-Chi just being a mess. Black Widow mm-hmm. being a nothing. It's like without a Tony Stark or, or something to go back without to that a, I, I really care without about. Without a moral center mm-hmm. and a father figure at the heart of this. And, and you know what? Are they, it's still hard to see what they're trying to do and how they're trying to make it work. It's not. It's not enough to come back to it, the MCU because it's the MCU. Mm-hmm. And we weren't the there day, because of a brand. To, we were there because of characters that we that's cared right. about. And that's those right. Characters and you, are gone. Yeah, and you've got to. You have to rebuild that. And granted, it took a long time to build that up in the first place. Those first, those phase one movies are pretty bad. Mm-hmm. But 
they persevered and pulled it together with Avengers and other things. And people were hungry and excited about that. And well, also Iron Man one was a promise. Right. After they took a while to deliver on it. What what have they promised me now? Like, what am I? They made lots of promises, but none that I'm particularly excited about waiting for them to keep. Wanda. Oh, great. We're going to get evil Doctor Strange or uh, yay. Yeah. By the way, wasn't it lame that this movie actually, instead of ending with a faux trailer, ended with an actual trailer? trailer? Yes. Yeah. It was. Like, yeah, they didn't give us a scene. They gave us an actual trailer. This gives us the dignity of tricking us into thinking we're seeing a scene instead of a. Anyway, we're going to do our best to mount a sterling defense of this movie, by the way, and not just be grumps about it, folks. But let me give my spider baggage very quickly. So I never cared about Spider-Man growing up. I was a complete Batman guy because he was dark and he understood the existential angst that I was feeling at the time. And I think people divide pretty cleanly into Superman people, Batman people, or Spider-Man people. And I was definitely a Batman Hmm. people. Yeah, if you look at us as around this table as that, we divide cleanly into that as kids. Right. Oh, yeah. Which means Ben was the nerd, I was the goth, and Jake was the jock, honestly. That's probably about what it means. We all all basically play the That is what it means. (laughs) (laughs) Peter Parker, (laughs) Bruce Wayne. (laughs) (laughs) I was also a billionaire. Clark Kent. And Clark Kent, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Jake's an alien from another planet. All of uh, whom have their own parent, daddy and mommy issues. <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, they do. But that's a way in which they diverge from our reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we don't, entirely. We don't really understand them. On right, we, we're always, we're interested in people with broken families. We're like, what is with that? I don't get that. <laughs> Good thing I'm a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my experience of Spider-Man was almost nothing. Like I saw the Tobey Maguire movie and I was like, green who? Who's these? Like, I think I knew Doc Ock. My experience of, my the first experience of Spider-Man I actually remember is our local newspaper along with such uh, as Ben, what was the phrase you used earlier golden classics or something um, golden classics yeah. something like that <laughs> along with yeah. such, along with <laughs> little such a, golden book yeah <laughs> little, little golden book <laughs> it stuck in my head because i thought it was a fun phrase uh, <laughs> golden mat along with such golden masterpieces as rex morgan md and, and other awesome kind of lame weird serious adult comic strips we had a spider-man comic strip and I always wanted to like it as a kid, but it was so boring because it'd be three panels every week. And so Spider-Man would trade exactly one punch with the villain. <laughs> and then uh, yeah. the next day he'd do another thing. And then the next day, and it would just go on and on and on and on. It was so lame. And I mean, it really wasn't actually that much interesting, more interesting than Rex Morgan MD. And I've spent a lot of my life trying to puzzle over what the attraction to Rex Morgan md is and why it exists and who cares and why newspapers pay good money to run it it's just very strange rex morgan and md one of the great mysteries <laughs> i agree it is a mystery i mean it is I've, like i've puzzled over it too it's the simulation like it's yeah. needing to occupy space like the simulation need needs some code to cover that part of the newspaper and so it's inserting something that no one who's an actual player character can actually care about i it, think there were several like that the apartment 3g which is some yeah. lame romance about single women in the city and <laughs> i just remember that these things existed and that they were bizarre to me as yeah. a kid yeah it's so it's weird anyway we're not here to litigate rex morgan md but if you're a big rex morgan md fan and you listen to this podcast i would love to hear what you like about rex morgan md i'm genuinely fascinated by the phenomenon that is rex morgan md Anyway, never cared about Spider-Man, didn't know anything about him, knew that he was a guy 
dressed like a spider that fought Doc Ock. I think Doc Ock was the one guy from the rogues gallery that I knew and uh, knew that Mary Jane was his girlfriend, or I think she was a wife in the comic strip version mm-hmm. and that she was some kind of a aspiring actress or something. I guess I knew more about MJ than I knew about any of the bad guys just because that, that comic strip featured more MJ. And then the first Tobey Maguire movie came out. I was in high school. We had a $2 theater. I must have seen that thing five or six times in theaters just because it was a thing to do. That was the period of my life where I was seeing a movie every weekend, maybe two movies every weekend, just hmm. seeing seeing everything. And yeah, just, oh, we need something to do. So let's go see Spider-Man. I didn't care that much about it. I knew the CGI. The, I remember everybody was kind of disappointed by the Spider-Man aspect of that first Spider-Man movie because mm-hmm. the CGI just wasn't quite there. Mm-hmm. And there's that dopey part where Tobey Maguire is not in a spider suit and he's jumping over buildings and it just looks really rubbery and terrible. Uh, but uh, I like Willem Dafoe and I had fun with it. And I think I had a Kirsten Dunst is exactly my age. And I sort of grew up with her interview with the vampire, small soldiers. And I think I kind of had a crush on Kirsten Dunst. So that probably didn't hurt anything. You were not alone. Yeah. I think the world had a crush on Kirsten Dunst. And so that was a Spider-Man movie. That was, you know, it was good, whatever. And then Spider-Man 2, I loved at the time. Now I went on and on and on about how great it was in our Spider-Verse review. People may remember. And I had two separate people come to me and be like, Thanks for making me rewatch that boring turkey of a movie. So it would be interesting to me to go back to it now, 20 years on or whatever it is, and see how it holds up. I went back to it in the last six months. It is. It does not hold up nearly as well as you remember it. Mm -hmm. It, That's just a fact. And nothing in the Raimi-verse does actually hold up as well as you'd like it to. Mm -hmm. And least of all, Mary Jane Watson and how they handled Mary Jane Watson in her she has no arc, no story. She is exactly the foil that we need to tell the next part of Peter's story. Right. And it's just like, it, it's really obnoxious what they did to Kirsten Dunst and how they had her play on a yo-yo. Yeah. Well, and also I'm married to a woman. She's not Kirsten Dunst. And so whatever interest I had in that particular character is probably evaporated at this point if I went back to it. But yeah, I, I remember, I think I would probably have some affection and enjoyment for it as a piece of, well, yeah, there's still, I mean, Alfred Molina's still great in it, and there's still mm-hmm. good, great things about it. I saw yeah. the extended bank robbery scene not too long ago. I don't know if it was on TV or YouTube or something, but I watched that. And the set pieces in that movie are still pretty fantastic, and they yeah, hold up. They I mean, the, the, the train fight is, yeah, I, I think, mm-hmm. probably in top 10 superhero fight of all time. It's just really well constructed and yeah, awesome. It, yes. It really is. Yeah, and it makes you want your Spider-Man movies to be well-constructed well and awesome. constructed and to have really well-choreographed action scenes. Yeah, well. Jake, why are you saying these <laughs> yeah. random things? Yeah, I don't know. I just throwing it out there. I, I mean, you know one movie that did that really well was Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just, and Amazing Spider-Man mm-hmm. too, for that matter. Yeah, well, if only the meaning had been coupled to some kind of ritual. I don't know. I should write an essay about it. But, uh, <laughs> <clears throat> folks, you really got to listen to our two Spider-Verse <laughs> episodes to get everything all of our in jokes (laughs) but but you should because those are prime sanity at the movies episodes we worked on a lot of our philosophy and stuff in those episodes so listen to them and it's just a really fun movie to talk about so anyway i never saw spider-man 3 still haven't caught up with it i'm aware of the bully mcguire memes and all that stuff i'm gonna see it with you sometime i've seen a lot of it like i've just over the years i've seen chunks of it I, I know what happens to Sandman. I've seen the sweet little moment with him. I don't think I've ever actually seen any of the Venom stuff. 
I, I do just, just I cannot make myself care about Venom. He's such a lame '90s angst. Cons- like Todd McFarlane's such a dope, and Venom's stupid. And I like old school superhero stuff before it got all like I, dark. I I do well. I could see a which good is why you like of, Batman of Venom. Yeah, which is why I like Batman. <laughs> It could be fun to have a good version of the Venom storyline. Well, we're going to get an MCU fun. version, guys. Right. Like I said, it would be good to have a good version <laughs> of the Venom storyline. Anyway, uh, Andrew Garfield, I think I probably liked better than either one of you guys when I first saw it. Like, I actually uh, liked the first Andrew Garfield movie pretty well. I hated the second one. The second one was just a mess. Going back to it now, I'm like, okay, Ben wins. It's got great sequences. But it's the story is so all over the place. And it oh, has yeah. that kind of current mcu problem or it has all it has the problem that all those franchises had the dark universe all these franchises yep. where they were like marvel did a thing and now we have to create this extended universe so we're going to spend a whole movie setting up a bunch of stuff that <sighs> and, and rushing through story points and stuff yep. uh, um so there's yep, just a yep. lot of there's a lot of things that just don't make narrative sense or work about that movie but i really love andrew garfield i think he's really cute with the what's her face the mm. girl who's made a living just Emma. being really cute with people they're fun together. They have chemistry, whatever. She doesn't yeah. really... I don't remember her playing a character. She just plays Emma Stone, the, the cute girl that has chemistry with Andrew Garfield. She does kind of manage to play a character anyway, at least. No, she plays a character points. and she has an arc of her own in the second movie. And the first movie, you know, it ends... The whole arc is, you know, are they gonna... Will they, won't they? And mm-hmm. then awkward tension around dad. Right. Mm-hmm. Dad dies and makes a sacrificial play and his dying request is that... Peter, stay away from her so that she stays safe. Mm-hmm. And then he does for most of the second movie until they decide, forget that. Yep. And then she she's the one who gets herself killed. Yes. Yep. And it's all a part of, I think, repenting of Mary Jane Wat- Kirsten Dunst's Mary Jane Wat- Watson and giving us an actual woman who has some agency yeah, but her agency is to disobey Spider-Man and get herself killed, which is, yeah. is not a particularly appealing yeah, but you can, yeah, character to, yeah, my, but that's an to my way of thinking. That's fine, but that's an arc. You can't say that she doesn't have an arc okay, or yeah, a story. Fair, fair. You can say you don't like it or that it's a bad one, but she actually does have one as opposed to Kirsten Dunst's Mary Jane Watson, who has no arc and no story whatsoever. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I'll tell you what I don't like, though, is the Black Hatter or whatever. The, there's some guy in a hat that shows up in those movies, and he's like, connected to he's putting together his sinister six yeah or something the, the like parents that. were in a plane and cia and like it's just like none of what you want in a spider-man movie and it's all dad may to... still be alive out there somewhere yeah. i i like all that stuff hypothetically cut scene yeah yeah he he is in a cut scene well that's where we differ because that just the very idea of that stuff was like why is this in a spider-man movie this is not what i want i just want to you know andrew garfield doing quips and stuff i i liked it too. I like the idea of pulling something together and telling a bigger story that had something more interesting than just, oh no. Villain of the day. It's Who's really- the villain of the day that is going to make Spider-Man wonder if he should be in love with mm-hmm. his girl or not, or if he should just be Peter Parker or not. Like Sam Raimi ran that into the ground so bad. Yeah, mm. I just didn't. Here's what, trying here's- to do something interesting and fresh. Those were the most interesting things about Amazing Spider-Man 2 as a franchise, it didn't work, but mm-hmm. it was like at least trying to I, separate it. I, I would so, argue it's yeah. a violation of one of the core tenets of Spider-Man, which is a tenant beautifully explained in that beautiful scene between Tony, the first scene between Tony Stark and uh, what's his face, Tom Holland in Civil War, where he says, why do you do it, kid? And he says, because I wasn't 
you know, a football captain before I got bit. I was just some nerd and then I got bit. So I have to help people and be a cool guy. And I like that. It's just because when the bad stuff happens and you can do something about it and you don't, then it's your fault. Right. And, Mm -hmm. but the, but the whole idea is he's just a sweet kid who happened to get bit, bit by a spider. And so anything that they do to make Andrew Garfield feel like the chosen one or, or like destiny had selected him or his parents had selected him or there was something special about him. To me, that's just like a violation of core Spider-Man principles and it's stupid. I really, I really don't like it. I would say the Spider-Man origin story has been retconned so many times or even and some sometimes not even retconned, just retold like there's ultimate Spider-Man comics. Right. And I there's there's a good way of pulling in some of that stuff that that leaves alone the core of how Spider-Man works. I think I really think there's a good way of doing it and just giving you some some history, some like Oh, there's extra backstory. There's we, more we all agree they did not find that good way in those. We all agree they didn't find that good way. What I what I always felt like was, well, Mark Webb, the director of Amazing Spider-Man, I thought your first movie was a complete wreck mm-hmm. in terms of establishing yourself, establishing your Spider-Man. And the second movie is a wreck in a different way. The second movie just needed to be a rom-com. <laughs> that's what he was actually interested in writing was a rom-com and that's what works best about that movie and it needed to just be electro because all the whatever the james franco character all the harry osborne, osborne stuff is really rushed through in that movie and I although it still has that quality of like this is badly put together but in it but in a given scene you're like oh this is a cool thing like yes. you, hon- you honed in on a cool vibe a cool thing you didn't have time you didn't give yourself time or space to make it work. Yeah, I, just, I would agree with that. You just found like cool things. Mm. And it, so what I always felt like was, well, maybe the third movie, he'll actually like calm down and say, I guess that was enough pipeline. Now I'll just build a sturdy movie on it. Right. But it's, it's also probably it, not his maybe fault. Maybe he would have. There, there's that famous Sony email leak. And I think it revealed that they had just really mismanaged Spider-Man and the, yeah. the brass really didn't understand and really wanted to build their sinister sticks and everything you'd kind of expect. But I don't think it was Mark Webb's fault. I think he was probably up to the challenge. And I don't know, maybe in the current multi- version of the multiverse that we live in, you'll get another shot. Seems like they really wanted to create that possibility or open it up. Just a couple of lines and a couple of little story beats in the way they played and wrote Andrew Garfield's appearance made me think i i bet he's the spider-man of the sony venom verse yeah i mean toby mcguire was obviously just doing a victory lap and he's too old but Mm -hmm. andrew mcgarfield or andrew mcgarfield yes (laughs) could be getting set up for (laughs) for more movies well (laughs) yeah he he had this whole little bit of exposition about how he went dark and bitter Mm -hmm. and nasty and that wasn't really explained by what happened at the end of Sp- Amazing Spider-Man 2. Mm-hmm. And so there's like they asked a question. Right. And they put it out there. And they could have just done it as another clumsy clunky thing to, you know, have Garfield be a mentor to Tom Holland Spider-Man, but there was that and then there was also, this, yeah, there were a couple other little things that I just thought I can see them trying that. Well, they gave him enough of an arc. Like, they, they went out of their way to say, Toby's fine. He's with Kirsten. It's good. His life is fine. He's, you don't have to worry about him. It's great. Whatever. And, and then they mm. did their stupid fake out. Oh, no, no, I he's I could not no, believe they did that. Yeah. 
What a joke. But that, but that's, we're, I don't think we're going to see Toby again unless somebody's no. just like, we could make more money, which never put it past them to <laughs> have that realization and act on it. I should finish giving my spider baggage though. Yep. So I liked Toby Maguire. I think one of the best Spider-Man scenes, as I alluded to already, is when Robert Downey Jr. just shows up as a, as his apartment. That's a beautiful little scene of, that's everything that's the best about the MCU. Yes, and that's right. The chemistry between Downey Jr. and Holland is famously off the charts and they're, they're great together and it's fun. And yeah, so that whole chunk, I would say, I, I don't even like Civil War as a movie, but as a Spider-Man movie, I like it a lot. Like mm-hmm. everything that has to do with Spider-Man is just a lot of fun like civil war is one of the best spider-man movies and a very middling marvel movie with right a, with a lot of tonal weirdness and crap and a lot of stuff that civil war was the first movie that committed some of the ritual decoupled from meaning sins that i'm sure we will probably talk about later To i still have a lot of affection for toby mcguire spider-man i like that universe i've talked about this before but i i just like the cheerful sort of christopher reeves superman universe that toby mcguire lives in that like, still moves closer to reality in some ways and is a swing back from everything Burton did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, uh-huh. it, it felt at the time much less cartoony, but compared to a lot of what we get now, it feels pretty stylized with J.K. Right. Simmons doing his J. Jonah Jameson but, yeah. and all that. But I love when J. Jonah Jameson won't give up Peter Parker. You know, he's got a heart of gold when the goblin comes for him. It's like even this angry boss character has a heart of gold. All the villains are just misunderstood, kind of. Mm-hmm. I just like the cheerful, optimistic, here in New York, he's one of us. Like that, that whole, the whole, that whole cheesy, yep. optimistic spirit of the Raimi movies, which I think is actually, as a character, better embodied in Andrew Garfield's Spider Man. But Andrew Garfield's Spider Man almost belongs in the Raimi you know, Walton Chong in the, in yeah. the, in the world of right. Like, like this, the Jake Superman thing that he responds to about Garfield, the whole world is built that way in the Tobey Maguire movies, even though Maguire doesn't get the chance to do as much of that sweet stuff. So I like that. And it's something that I've missed in the Tom Holland movies. They just have a slightly more cynical Tom Holland himself plays a very likable, mm-hmm. not cynical Peter Parker. But just in between Zendaya's take on MJ and just the general worldview of and, and the slightly scarier villains and everything. Yeah, um, I mean, every everything, what I would say about, well, this this is the most egregious of yeah. the Holland movies, but everything is, is, everything that's not an action scene or an MCU scene is sitcom. Mm-hmm. And it all feels, a lot of it just feels cynical. Just like, oh, everyone is stupid. Right. But it's funny. And it's just like, that's everything. Except for when it's not, because they're so insecure, they have to keep punctuating things with bad humor, which this movie is so guilty of. Oh, yeah, man. It drove me nuts. There's no dramatic scene that doesn't end with, there's Happy snoring in the corner. Oh, man. That (laughs) salt water. Because you're an octopus. Well, and we were there with an audience that was there for it, for the most part. I mean, our audience was kind of lame, actually. It was pretty subdued. I think if we had been there later in the evening, or if we had been... In the IMAX one that was playing right beside us, I'm sure. But and they did cheer out. for the two because when I, when when I got there and I got there before you guys did, and it, I actually wasn't joking when I sent you the text. Like maybe the line will be out that like people the line for just ticket claiming huh. was out the doors the entire time. But almost everybody was there for the IMAX mm-hmm. huh. showing, and I saw other people that I knew there for it. So I suspect that's that was the that was the theater to be in for the cheers. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, and it would have that, that would have helped. But mm-hmm. we did get applause when the two retro Spider-Man 
Spider Men showed up. Yep, and, yeah, a little bit. But, but but we didn't get get this movie was not able to take a subdued crowd and make them not subdued. Like all the it was kind of sad. I, I always hate sitting in a. I always hate watching jokes not land with an audience. Like that's that's always mm-hmm. sad. And the movie deserved to have them not land for the most part. They really didn't. Like I mean, yeah. Oh, your name's Otto Octavius. Just, that's hilarious. I thought you were an octopus. I kind of like the Otto Octavius joke or whatever. I mean, I actually uh, probably I felt like the movie's batting average of landed jokes was higher with me than it was with most of the audience. Like I chuckled a few times, and I they always have good jokes and. It's just that I think the insecurity of always needing to cut to something yeah. and then forcing in extra jokes in there that just aren't funny. Holland and Zendaya and Jacob Batalon or mm-hmm. however you say his name, they're all really great. And it, they all mm-hmm. they all bring a lot of good comedic timing. And Yeah, but it's kind of like if everybody's Tony Stark, then nobody's Tony Stark. Like you, you mm-hmm. need a little bit more grounding. You need, you need Gwyneth Paltrow to be there and be like, no, I'm not joking with you right now. So that the jokes land, there's, there are too many scenes in this movie, especially in act one that just feel kind of sitcom-y because everybody's just kind of not taking the situation seriously enough yeah. for, for me as an audience member to take it seriously. Have I finished my spider baggage? Yeah, Spider-Verse, I'm not going to get into my spider baggage there. You can listen to the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a fantastic movie. I have problems with it. I will still defend going hard after it because it deserved it. Not, not because it was bad, but because it aspired to so much that it deserved to be carefully parsed but now that we're watching this movie i do feel a little silly because why didn't i reserve my my big essay for you know as you guys have already mocked multiple times on and off mic (laughs) why didn't i not wait to write an essay about how stupid and immoral this movie well because this movie doesn't deserve an essay spider verse is so good that it deserves an essay that's my defense of that Mm -hmm. does that defense work don't think about it (laughs) (laughs) let's move right along let's move forward i have a joke about essays i have a little bit more baggage that i forgot to throw out there which is that i've played through the insomniac games or game and not the miles morales one but the spider-man one for playstation Mm -hmm. and that is also awesome and super fun and has a great storyline i played through that with my kids like so that's been pretty fun. And there was actually, uh, there were some, sp- there was some spider action in the final fight on the scaffolding around the Statue of Liberty that I've only seen in that game. I think must have been a hat tip to that game. Mm. Huh. So, yeah, that was a cool little thing that I just noticed. I'm sure other people have written things about it if it's true. But yeah, one of the best games of all time, in my opinion. Not a gamer. I haven't played video games in a long time, actually. It's been months since I've busted out the controllers, but played that through. And it was one of those things where the kids were like, instead of watching a movie, can Dad, can you play Spider-Man and we watch it? <laughs> You're like, all right. I wish I was reading theology right now, but I'll do it for you kids. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Exactly the words that I said. <laughs> yep. Yeah. If you've said, I wish I was reading theology once, you've said it a thousand times, Jake. This would be like a Friday movie night. Sure, sure, sure. Right? Like, we're going to watch a movie. Uh, What if you played Spider-Man and watched that? That's really funny. Well, it's got a really compelling story, and some of the kids cried. Uh It's it's a sweet story. Brings in Miles and Miles' dad in in that storyline. Spoilers. Miles' dad dies. Uh Oh, wow. Helping... Our Spider-Man. And then Peter ha- feels bad and, and then Miles gets bitten and he starts mentoring Miles hmm. towards the end of the whole thing, hmm. which sets up the 
Miles Morales game, which I haven't I haven't taken the time to buy or play. It's for PS5. I don't want to. Yeah, that's a it's a that's a that's a chunk of, of change. That's a chunk of change to play the one game that I would care about. Right. <laughs> so man, yeah. Hmm. <sighs> well. I think we've come to it. Jumanji. That's my other piece of baggage. Kirsten Dunst was in Jumanji. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's true. I'm like, where else did I remember? I, I really do feel like there's like a, just a handful of actors that I grew up with and was the right age of like, oh, that's a kid. And then, oh, that's not a kid, which is which Kirsten Dunst is probably the primary one that's like that. Uh, in any case, I really like Tobey Maguire, by the way. That's my I'll throw that out as another piece of baggage. I know everybody likes to make fun of his terrible performance and i'm not saying it's good i'm just saying i've, I've definitely come to like it i think i think it works in the context of those silly movies and he's, he's just fun mm-hmm. uh, i don't know i was happy to see him i was happy that he was acting exactly the same way i will brook no criticism. i don't know that he's capable of doing otherwise famously part of did you guys ever see that stupid aaron sorkin movie molly's game no, no. about the gambler who creates a high stakes poker Thing among the Hollywood elite. There's a jerk in that movie who plays poker, who's like the poker master who comes in and takes over the game and does all this stuff. And it's based on a true story. And Molly, of course. I've heard would, about the story. Yeah. And I know the, the stuff. Is that really supposed to be Toby Maguire? Toby Maguire was apparently the depraved poker genius. And the reason why he's no longer cast and why Hollywood will no longer cast him in any of his well apparently uh when dark toby Maguire got emo toby toby is the real toby Maguire. but i don't know i think he plays a nice well, we've all seen the video of him yelling at people to get out of his way him in his car <sighs> I, I still like toby Maguire. anyway guys we are gonna talk about let me see if i can do it spider-man home to roost you nailed it yeah I'm really not kidding. I mean, I knew that what I just said wasn't, <laughs> that was a joke because I knew that wasn't the real name, but Far From Home? Nope, that's number two. Can't go home. <laughs> no way home. No, no way home. No way home. See, I don't think this is a problem with the movie. I think this is a thing that you just do, especially with things that you don't like. But, because I, I, I've not had a problem with that. No way home. I acknowledge that I do that. There's a whole people whose names that I don't remember because I don't like them. But, and if you're listening to this and I don't remember your name, that doesn't apply to you. <laughs> but I really can't remember the name of this movie. I, I, I don't think I'm doing a bit here. I think it's, let me see if I can do it now. Spider-Man, No Way Home. Yes. Okay. All right, guys. Do you want to say nice things about the movie first? Do you want to mount a defense? Because here's the thing I don't want to do. I don't want to go into Dune territory where everyone's like, yay, finally, they made a good movie. And then we're like... You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. And I'm afraid that's what's going to happen. I have a defense prepared for this movie, but it depends on... You want us to attack first? It depends on the criticism. Mm -hmm. It depends on what I think is going to be my main criticism of this Hmm. movie, which there are a lot of things to pick on in this movie. And we we can... So I don't know how to approach it. There are a lot of things to pick on. There are a lot of things to pick at. There are a lot of threads to pull on. And we've already done some of that just by talking about the way they use their humor and stuff like that. We've alluded to the fact that they can't choreograph an action action scene. They have three (laughs) Spider-Men. Three. They have three Spider-Men together. And nobody thought this should be the Spider-Man action scene. 
to be all Spider-Man action scenes because we have three Spider-Men in it. And we've got to pay tribute to Toby and to Andrew and to Tom. And we've got to see what would it be like? Let's stop and let's get somebody who's good at action to stop and think, what would it be like? We've seen the best of what if there was one Spider-Man, but what if there were three? Let's figure that out and choreograph that. Nobody stopped to even have that thought. Well, the other thing that you should think about, and I don't know how easy it would be to do this, but you should be able to isolate what made each of those Spider-Man unique and codify it and then process it in such a way that the whole audience could be like, okay, it's Toby, it's Andrew, and it's Tom Holland. And this movie made no so little of a gesture towards doing that that I didn't even know which Spider-Man was which I a know. lot of the time. It's so disappointing. They, instead, they decided to make a joke about them being confused constantly. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was such a cheap way out. I could understand not wanting... Like, okay, so to- Toby, or uh, what's his face? Who's the new one? Tom has a different suit, so you can yep. kind of tell him. Mm-hmm. And I can understand not wanting to, you know, splash Toby Maguire with blue paint or have him wear a hood or something, but there's got to be a way visually to simply distinguish those pe- those guys. They do strike somewhat different poses in their movies, and they do move a little different in the fights. Yeah. And if you took the time... The, the one time they did that was when we, they all three landed together. Yeah. And we had a very distinct... They each had a distinctive landing pose, which was, I think... Distinctive to their Spider-Man, but they don't did do throw that, that away. Movement, Put that it was in just slow motion and do the music. Like they all jump in front of the moon, and you're like, okay, here's the iconic poster shot. But they don't make it into an iconic poster shot. They just they just keep throwing it away, and not in a cool like we've got so much awesome action that we can just throw things away. You know, like Mad Max Fury Road kind of way, but in a stupid, we're just throwing this away because we're not smart enough to choreograph like in a sort of Christopher Nolan way. Like I just don't know how to do this. And so I'm throwing things away that should be awesome. They choreograph the attack on Electro for like 15 seconds. There's three Spider-Men attacking. Yeah. Three generic Spider-Men that aren't. Yep. I'm just saying there it is. Yeah, it's good stuff. They even mock their own action like early on. Really? Like, well, when, when Tom Holland's Spider-Man goes to round up Electro and imprison him and he's wearing the black, Electro suit, uh-huh. Doc Ox. Uh, the 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 gold on black is different suits in different. Uh-huh. You know, but anyhow, it's a suit, and so like he puts the duct tapes the video camera, the phone camera to his chest, mm-hmm. and then he goes and fights Electro. And oh, and Zendaya's like, "How do you keep up with this?" Or uh, no, he, he says, "Did you guys see that?" And they said, "No, it was like really dark and shaky." It's like not cool, guys. The, well, good okay. joke, I guess. Guess the, the joke's on all of us. Yeah, good joke on the audience. Both both Sam Raimi and Mark Webb were distinct visualists, and they had distinct visual ideas, and they made everything in the colors and the special effects look like one cohesive reality. Mm-hmm. This director is just not as good with the tools of making movies. Like, colors change, and then it's harder to see certain characters at certain times, not because of intentional, like, let's make it shadowed so you can't see them, but like... We just couldn't make the colors stand out enough for you to see this character. And that's happening all the time in this movie. It's just it's just carelessness on a technical level. Except for the mirror verse action scene. The mirror verse was very clear and very well done. Yeah. Give, was, it, give it to you. I think that has to be the best action scene of the Yeah. Of the movie. But that's unfortunate. So it is unfortunate. Unless you want to say Doc Ock versus Peter is the best action scene. But when you get to all the Spider-Men together on the Statue of Liberty fighting the almost sinister six, 
The Sinister Five, I believe. It that should have that should have <laughs> topped everything we've ever seen. Well, honestly, Doc Ock on the freeway should have should have topped any Doc Ock we've seen. Like this but is it, this is Spider Man's rematch with Doc Ock with with twenty years of visual well, effects. Now, now, in their defense, I did read a thing that said that both Alfred Molina and Willem Dafoe insisted on doing their own stunts if they were going to be in the movie. And they're both a thousand years old. And they're both they? a thousand years old. So if and that was a condition of contract. And I, I saw Willem Dafoe talking about it in an interview about how as a stage actor or something like that, if you don't do the action, then you don't earn the right to do the comedy and you can't be a consistent character unless you're doing the action. So I insisted I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't sign the contract unless they let me do the action. And the, in the, I think in the same article, I saw a similar thing with Alfred Molina. I want to give them a little bit of space there with that. But I agree in principle. But I also am willing to accept that having ancient Alfred Molina at that point. But most of what Alfred Molina does is, I mean, it's CG. Just stand around, just hang around he, he, while, he just, he while just jerks CGI his body arms. A little. Yeah. yeah, I don't need Alfred Molina to move that much. I just need his spider arms to... I mean... It, yeah, I don't really want to let him off the hook for that. All right, I tried to create space. No, but yeah, I think, no that, but that, was, guys, that was a good you, effort. You guys are right. Well, and also, they actually did get a pretty brutal... I don't know how well done it is, but they did manage to do a brutal Green Goblin fight yes. after Aunt May died. Yeah. Like, yeah, but Willem Dafoe is like fit and spry for, for yeah. an old dude. To, to say, I mean, not, yeah. Willem Dafoe's probably in his 60s. Alfred Molina is close to, I think, is 72, I saw somewhere. Wow. So. Well, and he carries weight in Dafoe, I think, just to look at him and to look at him again in the interview. He's just like... He's just a fit, spry little guy. Yeah, huh, no, he's you know? yeah, and he's done a lot of action and trained for everything from Aquaman to the original Spider-Man to hmm. uh, Defoe can carry himself and knows how to do these kinds of movies. Alfred Molina is just usually uh, you know on the stage doing Fiddler on the Roof or something like that and huh. eating donuts and stuff. So and getting old, which people do, it's fine. But <laughs> I, like, I, I like donuts. I, I love Alfred Molina, by the way, and that was one of the things that made this me angry at this movie because it wasted him. But where were we? We really just... We're trying. Ben, what are your big thoughts about this movie? We've all complained about the you, Statue of Liberty. All right. All right. Before we get to Jake's defense, let's just all talk big picture. Oh, man. Big picture, this movie had me up until the point, <clears throat> like I liked it a lot, or I was willing to like it a lot, up until the point where, where, where what? I guess where Peter goes to Doctor Strange and they have that scene and you realize Doctor Strange, that the movie is just going to play with the idea of a father figure who takes responsibility without having him take any responsibility or do any thinking beforehand and just play around with an uber-powerful spell in the most sitcom way possible until it suits the movie to say, actually, this was a serious mistake and bad-bad, and someone yeah. should have thought about this. Doctor Strange, now you're a father figure who wants us to think about things, but a minute ago, you were making sitcom jokes about a forgetting spell that would affect the entire planet. And the fact that you want us to think responsibly makes you the antagonist now, because actually, for whatever arbitrary reason, we shouldn't be thinking responsibly. And yeah, this is all Peter's fault thing. now and not your fault, Dr. Strange. <laughs> Which they make Zendaya point out for half a second, but then right. they, yeah, they, they disappear him for the rest of the movie, let Peter trap him in the mirror. In a sitcom joke, first. basically. And, and, then, and then he comes back at the end, and while he, he's trying to prevent... This massive multiversal invasion of Peter Parker's rogues gallery suddenly decide, no, we can't actually erase everybody's memory because 
nobody would remember you, including me. When he was ready to do that, you know. Well, to just to be clear, the difference was earlier, <clears throat> he was going to make everyone forget that Peter Parker was Spider-Man. And then at the end, he's making everyone forget the existence of Peter Parker. That Peter Parker, at Parker all. exists at all. Yeah, that's but, fair. I mean, but no, it's not fair. It's not it's fair. It's completely arbitrary. It's, it well, is. You can't just, I have to say it's a distinction. <laughs> I, I want to talk about a small thing you just said, which is they have Enzendaya. I think that I believe on the internet, it's called hanging a lampshade, where you yeah. acknowledge that you're doing something stupid. Hmm. So- we do we do that all the time on like the Chip and Lance show or something something stupid or silly or obvious or ironic or arbitrary or arbitrary will happen for some reason and then someone and then someone <laughs> will and then we want the the audience to know we're not stupid so we'll have a character usually Chip will just say hey this arbitrary thing happened we'll acknowledge it we'll hang a lampshade on it but it's cheap and lazy if we do that with things that are actually important with things that are actually supposed to. That hold are, emotional await that with, are the with, the, or, the central uh, catalyzing element of the plot, for right. instance, or a, <laughs> for instance, or a central part of the morality of the movie. Right, right. Well, here's my question for anyone who really likes this movie, because, and, and I, I'm guessing this is what the devil's advocate is going to pick on, but I just think the decisions of absolutely everyone are so arbitrary, and the the moral stances that the movie takes are so arbitrary. And my question for anyone who likes this movie is, did you know that the character was going to do that? Like, did it feel inevitable to you that Aunt May was going to stand for what you stood for? Had you ever seen her stand for anything like that before? Did it make sense to you when Willem Dafoe turned into a bad guy? Did you see that coming or did it just feel like the movie needed a bad guy? I mean, I saw it coming. Probably lots of people saw it coming because our movie needs a thing now but in terms of the character like what is it that makes him turn good and then makes him turn bad what is it that makes dr strange stupid over here and then smart over here there's just a series of Mm -hmm. maybe a dozen dozen and a half decisions that characters make in this movie or big character turns that are in no way motivated by anything but what the plot needs and it's frustrating because it curbs any kind of emotional investment in the movie yeah and here and here's the movie even has a perfect metaphor for it in the in the center of the movie which is tony stark's magical fabrication device right yeah right like just whatever we need we can just magic it because we have a magical fabrication device it it, it's so stupid but here's what here's what i want to argue is even even worse yeah than the arbitrariness of all of it the MCU Spider-Man has had two movies, standalone movies, to establish personal stakes for the third movie in the trilogy. It has to do all of that work in this movie alone. All of it. With all of the other characters from all the other Spider-Man movies drawn into it. And mm. it has to leave, and the whole goal, apparently, is to leave Tom Holland's Peter Parker in the same place at the end of this trilogy. With two or three other appearances, at the end of six appearances in the MCU, leave him at the exact same place at the end of this movie that Sam Raimi leaves Peter Parker at the end of his very first movie. Right. Zendaya is awesome, and they actually let her be awesome in this movie. Yep. And even that, she's not strong enough to muscle some kind of illusion that distracts from the fact that Peter Parker in the MCU has just stepped out of the shadow of Tony Stark. Right. And so he steps into the shadow of the two other Peter Parker Spider-Man franchises that we've had. 
It's a total misstep. And what they end up doing is sabotaging everything mm -hmm. that's unique and cool about the MCU Spider-Man in the process. Mm -hmm. So we essentially have a brand new Spider-Man origin story here. And one of the smart, fun things they did in the MCU was sidestep mm -hmm. the Spider-Man origin story. Yep. Right. So the question is, is Peter Parker ever actually allowed to grow? Is this Peter Parker allowed to grow at all? Well, and increasingly, it feels like no one in the MCU has ever been allowed to grow. That's right. Not Captain America, not Iron Man. I, I mean, so, I so here's the thing. The only thing Peter Parker is allowed to do, the only way he's allowed to grow in this movie is to grow up. Apparently, he's been a kid up until now. And so the, and he's been the only credible kid uh, we've had as Spider-Man. That's right. Mm -hmm. Andrew Very Garfield true. and Tobey Maguire were never credible kids. No. And that's one of the sweet things about him. And so now he has to be a man and he has to grow up. And what does that mean? He has to be alone. The one thing he had going for him was that he wasn't stuck in the same character arc that all of the other Peters had. Right? Which we like, were all really tired of. Yeah, we were all tired of it. And what we loved was that, hey, he had a father figure mm -hmm. and that father figure mattered. Mm -hmm. And so now here we are in the third standalone film and the sixth appearance and Peter Parker steps out of the shadow of Iron Man into a world where all the stakes have to be established so we can leave Peter right where Raimi did. And so you sabotage literally everything that could possibly be sabotaged about this MCU, Parker and Spider-Man, including Zendaya and Jacob Batalon, which were some of the sweetest parts, mm -hmm. right? But they were kids before, but now we have to amp it up. Now we have to make the romance real. Like they made the romance real for uh, Garfield and in Emma Stone, mm -hmm. they made it real for Toby and Kirsten Dunst. Suddenly, we have to stop playing sideways to all this stuff and having the sarcastic take on MJ and just the sort of insecure high school, middle school of it all. We have to make it all grow up real fast with all this other stuff happening around us mm -hmm. so that we get to the place where what? We have a Spider-Man that can no longer live in relation, that, that no longer lives in relation to Iron Man or any other franchises, and it's, in some sense, I want to say this movie is guilty of patricide. Mm -hmm. That's what I, there's, the, there's, the my, MCU is. there's my big, there's my big claim, because now we have Peter Parker all alone in the world with nobody and nothing, and nothing matters, and nothing that's happened before matters, and he's reset to the point where, right where Raimi put him, right where web put him down to longing after a girl who doesn't know he exists down to longing after a girl who doesn't know he exists and being conflicted about whether or not he can make a move because he might get her hurt and it's like so instead of sidestepping all of that what we really did what you've told us we've really been doing is spinning our wheels mm -hmm. to get to it finally after six appearances down to ham fistedly and suddenly without any preparatory work, turning Marissa Tomei's useless aunt may character. Who's one defining characteristic in the other movies was she's hot into uncle Ben. Exactly. Like, like just retconning her like, Oh yeah. yeah you guys remember how she was uncle Ben? No, I don't. <laughs> you guys don't remember how she, was all, how she was all into feast in the homeless shelter and taking care of the poor broken people at the homeless shelter. No, that wouldn't, that never happened no. in this universe her character her, her one character trait was quite literally that she was hot i mean they said that that's what D D robert downey jr had it pegged when he walked into the movie like that, that's all they ever gave her to play Mr. marissa tomei has complained about it in interviews like yeah and so then they they retconned it to make her and everybody else happy i guess but again like the whole idea that aunt may works at feast and this homeless shelter and all the things that's all over the place and the spider 
Batman legacy. It's a big point of story point in the Spider-Man game mm-hmm. from Insomniac, huh. but it it's non-existent in this yeah. until it needs to be, until it needs to exist. So I mean, I hate to say this, but in it's just it's part of part of the limits of the comic book form part of what the form brings with it okay i should say a liability is the tendency to reset all its characters to keep them in perpetual adolescence or whatever stage they're in because a character lasts for 50 plus years 60 years i think that's true but i think two things happened number one andrew garfield happened and asserted we can actually ignore canon and start telling our own story that can yeah. have a beginning, a middle end. And much more importantly than that, Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy happened. And then one of the big things and one of the great things about those movies, which I don't think are great, but one of the things that Nolan really did well was he asserted, I'm going to tell a complete Batman story with a beginning, a middle and an end. And I'm going to boldly assert the right to do that down to an ending, which is I, I, where it trips over itself and where people trip over it. But Hey, it has one. That's pretty cool. I think DC's always been better at that, though. They, they have. They have. Marvel's always been like, no, no, we need complete continuities. Okay, if it needs to change, we'll retcon the whole continuity. We'll tell a story that undoes what other stories did. That's how we'll solve this problem. Well, and so then what we have, again, anything can happen at the end of this movie. And here's the other thing that's stupid. Because everything is arbitrary. Everything really is arbitrary, including the final emotion that they try to leave you with. So they're going to bookend it, right? And it's like, oh no, Peter's made the decision to just let Ned and MJ alone mm-hmm. and go do the solo Peter Parker thing where he lives in the crappy room that he's got to pay rent and he's never going to be able to pay his rent and he's going to look at his police scanners. But you know what they're not going to do is throw the star wattage of Zendaya and the sweetness of that relationship with Jacob Batalon and that bromance thing completely out the window and you know what else they're probably it, not going to do is make him have to earn it through three more movies he's they're, they're just gonna like give her a spell or something and she gets her yep. memory back yeah, yeah exactly some magical mystical metaverse thing is going to happen uh what do we call it multiverse uh, yeah it's going to happen and then her consciousness will connect with a different mj from a different and then it'll all come back and it'll all something if they want to do that, they can just do that. They've established they can do that and that they're okay doing stuff like that. So where are the stakes? There are no stakes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, it's super hard to be invested in anything like that. It's just. Well, and going back to Ben's thing about bad comic book continuity, <laughs> that's true. But the weird thing that's weird about this movie, weirdly clumsy about it is even within it's even assuming this is one movie and it has to do all the work because they haven't bothered setting anything up. You could still have a scene in act one that sets up Aunt May having this characteristic. So yes, that in act two, it's, it's true. we pay it off, but instead it's like, we're going to wait until act two and then just try and gaslight people into thinking that's who Aunt May has already been, has always yeah. been. It, it's just, it's weirdly kind of clumsy. It, yeah, it's it it's aggressively clumsy. It's why I came up with that stupid phrase, ritual decoupled from meaning about Spider-Verse, which maybe didn't deserve it. But this sure does because it, there is something that feels immorally aggressive about this, about Shang-Chi, about this whole run of, of movies that we've been getting lately from Marvel and from a lot of other studios from the bigger Disney machine, where it's like mm-hmm. they are actively against building character arcs actually like they don't want to do it 
they they want to have moments that work and that trade on the things that you're supposed to feel about those moments, but they actually are actively against those mo- moments having a cumulative effect that builds through the movie. It, it, Shang-Chi was weird how it avoided like an arc for Tony Lung. Mm-hmm. It's just like he's this way over here, he's this way over here, he's this way over here. You've seen both these kinds of movies. Put it together for yourself. Right. And and, and <laughs> I had the problem with the one little moment that I didn't think landed, the, the best moment in Spider-Verse, but I was like, I don't know whether it lands. But over at the MCU, they're just doing whole movies where they don't bother to actually actually couple their ritual to any kind of broader meaning. And it feels like they just hate the morality of it. I mean, I don't mean to be like a grumpy Christian guy who always has to bring it back to these kinds of things, but it's like, it feels like they don't want it. They want to actively avoid saying anything about fathers, good or bad. They want to avoid saying anything about friendship or romance or eroticism or anything else. They, like, right. they, 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 they don't want to have to say whether Dr. Strange's point of view ultimately was good or bad well, or in the middle. And so, and, and in this movie, they didn't even want to say, my wife pointed out to me, they never said bad guys or villains. Like those are not words that were uttered about any bad guys or villains. Which actually, it, it's interesting. That really bothered my wife about when, when Aunt May gave her speech in the soup kitchen about saving yeah. the, Meredith just leaned over to me and she was like, is anyone going to say these are bad guys? That's is, what is my that, wife leaned over and said to me, like it, at the it, same scene. Is this going to be, are we married? <laughs> the same woman <laughs> uh, <laughs> hold on names both start with m, m second yeah. letter e wait a minute oh i did take a cold shower we may have shifted the multiverse <laughs> let's put it on tiktok uh, it's just it's weird like this movie actually doesn't even want to deal with like eh, green goblin kind of deserved to die doc ock made a really bad mistake electro was it had gone in a bad direction. Well, okay, let's let's go a little further here because another thing it does is it says, you know, it's their fate to die fighting Spider-Man. And then it basically says it's Spider-Man's... It's, and then it, it basically gaslights you into thinking. And I'm not sure if these words were ever said that Spider-Man's going to kill them. Spider-Man doesn't... The only person you could argue he kills, I guess, is Electro. The other guys, like, kill themselves or they die of natural of wounds. That it's they one of the cause. sweet things about yep. the Spider-Man movies. That's right. He doesn't really kill people. He doesn't want to does. kill people. Right. No, but this movie gaslights you into thinking, oh, the other, they're going to go home. The other Spider-Mans will kill them. But Spider-Man, you know, with great power comes great responsibility to do what? Save their souls? Like, change them from Doc being soul, bad people? In, in, in the movie terms... Uh, Doc Ock's soul was Doc saved. Soul's, Doc Ock's soul was saved. I know. Well, that's, that's the know. thing actually about all three Raimi villains is in a sense, I think you could argue all three of them. I mean, not really Willem Dafoe, but at least he got Peter, don't tell. Don't tell Harry. Don't tell Harry. Which yeah. is, you know, like Raimi yeah, just. it's sweet. Raimi just seems like, I mean, I know he's the director of Evil Dead and all that, but he just seems like a sweet guy who really wants to be optimistic about human nature. I, I, I'm and, fine with that, but this movie doesn't have his sweetness. It just has the assertion of. His optimism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It asserts his optimism, but so it doesn't have the integrity of even getting the backstory right in this movie for what actually happens to these villains. And and then it and then it's gonna it's gonna try to make you buy this this weird morality. Well, let me take it one step further than that. Not only does it not have the sweetness, in in the in, if you want to take the movie's premises and what's happening seriously, this movie gives us a Peter Parker who really desperately tries to kill the bad guy out of mean-spirited revenge, yes. beats the crap out of him, tries to stab him, yep. is fully intending. Uh, to- Toby did that. Yeah, kind of, but mm. no, I'm, I'm not going there with you. When did Toby do that? 
the dude who shot Uncle Ben. Yeah, but that's different. That's built into the morality of the movie, and it's... It's like how he learns not to take... Rev- I mean, it, it's true. To The fairest you could be is this is trying to be the same moment. It is. It's trying to be the same moment. But it's... It overshoots. Uh, both of those guys... Both of those guys... Both... Both... Garfield and Maguire. Garfield and Maguire have to overcome their desire to just take vengeance on the world and on bad guys for what's happened to them and to the people they love. That often they're directly responsible for because of their, in, at least in McGuire's case, because of his own selfish actions. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? But those movies Tom are- Holland's never actually done... Tom Holland gets punished because he tried to do the good thing instead of do the bad thing. I guess that's fair, but I, I still think this movie... And because he listened to May. This movie doesn't know what it's doing, though. It's making mm-hmm. Spider-Man more brutal than it thinks it is. It thinks it's doing the same thing, but it's it's overshooting the mark. Like, like you just don't want an image of Spider-Man picking up a sharp object and bringing it down on a guy's head, even if it's going to get pulled back at the last second. But you, what if... You want the same. what if Raimi- it just sets up Toby stepping in between? <laughs> then you still don't want it. <laughs> you, you, no, you really don't. I mean... <sighs> All right. Can we hit the the devil's advocate alarm? Yeah. Is there anything else that we want to say big picture before we... Uh... I, I, just, I just want to say this again. Maybe we'll come back to it. But with great power comes great responsibility has never meant that you have a moral responsibility to rehabilitate all the bad guys and like save them from their sin by technological means. It, there's all kinds of just weirdness going on with the way they try to shoehorn the Spider-Man morality into this movie. No, well, but it has meant that, like in Raimi, we exist in a universe where things tend to work out optimistically. Sure. Whereas this movie exists in a universe where we don't even know what happens to these bad guys. The movie doesn't care. Are they being transported back? Like, is Willem Dafoe going to be transported back to the moment where he's about to be impaled? We don't know. That's right. The movie doesn't care. That's right. The, The Sam Raimi movies, while not having that philosophy... You know, while the characters don't have that philosophy, the universe kind of has that philosophy. Sure. The universe wants to be kind to the villains. Sure. This movie makes the characters for a plot point be kind to the villains, but then the movie itself actually isn't that kind to the villains. It actually doesn't care what happens to them after they their moment in the movie is done. And it doesn't care what happens. It doesn't care whether the Spider-Men remember their fun interaction with their fellow Spider-Man. I just want to say one thing before we hit the devil's advocate alarm. I want to say what I liked because I'd like to have it not be wrung out of me by the devil, but I'd like to give it generously. I did like the three Spider-Men together. It was sweet. It was nostalgic. And I thought they did a pretty good job, actually. I liked Andrew Garfield in particular getting to save. I mean, we all knew it was going to happen, but I liked him getting to save Zendaya. I thought all the like, I love you, man, like all the banter. It didn't make me laugh or anything, but (laughs) I thought it was sweet and I thought it felt like it was much more effectively than the villains or than anything else. It actually was building on the legacy of how we feel about Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. And it wasn't much, but it gave me something. And I was engaged as long as they were on the screen together. One of those Spider-Men is an Oscar caliber actor. Yeah. 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 Tobey Maguire. I I could have, I could have played out your lines for you as soon as I said that. Then why didn't you, Jake? I just, you know, you needed to have your moment. I, I needed guess. to have my moment, yeah. Then um, I needed to try and take it from you. <coughs> I'm glad you didn't take it from me. Our audience has stopped laughing at my hilarious joke probably about, I'm going to say now. Toby Maguire! Oh, they're laughing again. Okay. Let's just wait. Wait for it. <laughs> wait for it. Wait for it. 
So I liked the Spider-Man and I thought it was cute. And I, I thought Tobey Maguire was cute. I hated the fake out death. And, but I thought, I, and I thought the movie had some genuine cleverness and having Garfield come through the portal, be wearing the mask. And then we hear his voice and, you know, it's just like, if you're going to do it, that's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was sweet. So I liked all that part, and I'm going to give that to the devil. You like Ned calls him through the portal of it all and them coming through portals in a portal scene? Yeah, and Andrew Garfield's interaction with Nana or whatever was fun and crawling around. about bread and the cobwebs. and Yeah, yeah. and just seeing Andrew Garfield's quippy Spider-Man, I thought he was well-written and was fun, and it was like, I do want more Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies based on this movie, which is pretty high praise, I think, Yeah, given mm-hmm. how dumb the rest of this movie was. I would... I would go and watch the stupid Venom verse if they brought him into it. I'd yeah. watch all of it. I just, I'd watch the stupid Morbius movie if I had to. That's oh, man. that's. I would. I would. I would go that far. That might be hyperbole, that but I know. It, I know what you mean. That's pretty far. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I would. I don't know. I really like Andrew Garfield Spider Man, and it was really fun to see him. And I enjoyed every moment that he was on screen. I'm glad he got to redeem himself and save Zendaya, and that was all great. So I give it to you, Devil, before you even start. And now. The devil, or we'll call him the Mobius. The, the Mobius, or what's what's the name of the vampire guy? <laughs> Morbius. The Morbius. Morbius. Yeah. Are you are you here to save the movie or destroy it? Oh, Peter, my boy, <coughs> you're all grown up. That's the banner I'm going to hang over my argument here. Oh boy. Good luck. I don't need it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, here it is, and I've uh, all right. We've already said this. John Watts is the first person to give us a Peter Parker who's actually a kid. Mm-hmm. He looks like a kid. He talks like a kid. He thinks like a kid. He interacts like a kid. He gets into the mess of this movie because being a kid is this Peter's fatal flaw. Technically, the Russo brothers, Russo brothers, were the first to give us a... <laughs> actually, the Russo brothers, Jake. <laughs> no, 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 no. They didn't give us Peter Parker. They did for a sec. You go watch the, the opening 10 minutes of Homecoming. And we can stop right now so Walter and Gary can feel stupid if you want to. But you go watch the first 10 minutes of Homecoming. And that movie is John Watts giving us a Peter Parker who's a kid. He talks like a kid, looks like a kid, thinks like a kid, interacts like a kid. All right. Yep. And his fatal flaw is that he's a kid. His solution to MJ and Ned can't get into MIT is he's going to go to Doctor Strange and unthinkingly try to magic a solution regardless of consequences. That's a kid thinking. Dr. Strange points it out. Well, you didn't, like you came to this, for this solution. You didn't even call, like you didn't do anything else. Mm -hmm. He's a child. So of course, what happens? Chaos ensues. And one of the things we learn in the process is that Peter getting Ned, MJ, and himself into MIT would have actually been pretty easy for Peter to do if Peter wasn't just a stupid kid and actually had an adult tell him, hey, why don't you go and talk to somebody from MIT? It's all designed to play into the tragedy of how this movie unfolds, and especially Peter's growth arc. So here's what happens. Unintended consequences pile up as Peter keeps making his own foolish, childish decisions while trying to do the right thing. And unlike the other two Peter Parkers that we've had, who have to learn their lessons from doing the wrong thing, this Peter, our sweetest and most childlike and most innocent Peter Parker, tries to do the right thing. And his dear Aunt May pays for it. This is the first time we've ever seen this Peter tempted to go dark. And in some ways, it's a refreshing twist on the 
traditional Peter Parker story. Peter always goes dark and then has to learn how to be good. This Peter tries to do the right thing, blows up in his face, and then he's tempted to go dark. And so then you enter a couple new mentors, and they are the last mentors Peter Parker is ever going to need. He's been guided by Tony Stark. He's been guided by Aunt May. He's even been guided by Happy Hogan. Now he's losing all of them. And as he does, who better to help him make that transition than two older brothers who had to learn things the hard way on their own? Who better to usher our, our Peter Parker into what it truly means to be Spider-Man? Be conflicted, alone, but ultimately trying to do the right thing. Whatever you want to say about the plot, the use of other characters drawn in from the Spider-Verse, however successful or unsuccessful, this movie gets this job done. The one job it had to get done in a way that's cathartic and pays tribute to every iteration of Spider-Man that's ever come before it. And in a way that resonates for every child who's looked up to Spider-Man as a relatable hero, as the awkward dorky kid from the poor, broken, dysfunctional family who just wants to do the right thing and get the girl. No more shadows for this Spider-Man to live in. Peter Parker has stepped out of every one of them, out of Iron Man's shadow, out of Sam Raimi's shadow, out of Mark Webb's shadow. He is now on his own. The baton has been passed. It's been passed successfully. We have to say a lot of hard goodbyes, but that's so we can finally say hello what we've been missing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, 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 let me finish. Yes, of course, of course. To what we've been missing all along in the MCU. Not a cute, fun side character like in Civil War. Not the new Iron Man, but for the very first time in the MCU, the one and only Spider-Man. Peter Parker has finally grown up. This has been my TED Talk. (laughs) Thanks for listening. That's a a good movie. Yeah. (laughs) I wish they'd written that screenplay. (laughs) That's what they did. That's what they did. That's what they did. That's what they accomplished. That's what they fought for. That's what they, and you can say it got bloated with fan service and a clunky plot mechanic, but that is the arc, the character arc of this Peter Parker. And we are now for the first time since Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man going to get Spider-Man. Not Iron Man Part 2, not some cute dorky side character that has to have a Tony Stark holding his hand. That is looking to Mysterio to be a father figure, but somebody that can stand on his own and make his own decisions and be his own man, be his own hero. No second, I am Iron Man moment. Nope, I am Spider-Man. Hmm. Well, what do you think about that argument, Ben? Push back. Fight me. Sure, sure. I think, I think that probably would be a good movie, but they didn't write it and they didn't set that up to happen instead they it's, it's all like, right there in that line peter my boy you've grown up you're all grown up you could tell your audience that's what you're doing but you're, then you have to actually you have to do actually it. do it yeah yeah it's like it's like every everybody that came to that movie and rated it positive on rotten tomatoes 99 percent of all people who have seen and rated it think that's what happened yeah they that's why we do this podcast to teach people to think more intelligently. Do not don't don't in a, in a don't. more godly way about these movies. That's right, because that does appear to be the structure of the movie, and that does make sense of what the screenwriters were doing to me. Actually, that's a pretty helpful devil. No, the Marvel always does this. They have a superstructure, which is which is recognizable. It's that ritual I always talk about. It's mm-hmm. like this is the story, and then they have individual scenes, and any one of those individual scenes is pretty well done and could fit into that story. But what they do not do is provide the connective tissue so as to actually tell that story in a moral way or in a emotionally satisfying way 
unless your attention span has been so destroyed by TikTok that you just want little bursts of feeling actually not connected to each other, actually not, not telling a story. So it, actually, your argument is very easy to make, Mr. Devil, because you're just pointing to the superstructure of the movie. Okay, hmm. great. And any individual scene will point you back to that superstructure. So it's it's very close to being exactly what you say it is. But crucially, it lacks any connective tissue. Can you define connective tissue for me and tell me what that would mean or what it would look like? Because it, means- it sounds like what you said is... Yes, that's the story it's telling, and all the scenes tell that story, but it's missing some secret je ne sais quoi that you, I don't quite understand. No, it's missing character. It's missing a character arc where a character does something, and then something happens, and then they respond to that thing, and you can actually follow it and chart it. What, it, what you have instead is Doctor Strange is acting like a moron for some reason that I don't understand. Oh, now he's being smart for... Like, okay, Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker. He's a kid who has to become a man. Uh, what if he ran into Obi-Wan Kenobi and we wanted to tell the story of him coming coming under uh, Obi-Wan's mentorship, Obi-Wan dying, and then him becoming a Jedi Knight. And in order to tell that story, we had Obi-Wan randomly give Luke Skywalker terrible advice and then rescind that terrible advice and try and punish Luke Skywalker for following, the following that advice. And then Luke Skywalker decided to do the opposite of the thing that he had already done in following Obi-Wan's advice for some reason. And then a third mentor character came and Han Solo showed up and he said, actually, you, do, you should do this, this, this third thing. And then he did the third thing. And, and, and then that's, that's, that's basically what we're, what we're looking at here. It does not make any sense. I, and I'll go back to what I said somewhere in hour four of this podcast. You cannot tell me are we four hours in? No, no, no. no. We're, we're about an hour and a half. You cannot tell me, you could not have told me before it happened that Aunt May would have been in support of rehabilitating these villains. You could not have told me before it happened that Doctor Strange would have been against it. You could not have told me, before, unless you'd seen a trailer, before it happened that Doctor Strange would have wanted to cast a, a, a spell. Now, you could tell me that William Defoe in Spider-Man, the original Tobey Maguire Sp- Spider-Man was going to go bad. You know why? Because he was a character. He had an arc that was building somewhere. He wasn't just an arbitrary set of random. Well, I, and I want to give you, I want to give you that. I want to give you May in Doctor Strange. And I want to give you everybody else. Electro. Electro. I want to give you. Spider-Man himself. I don't want to give you Tom Holland's Peter Parker. I just want you to see that the movie sets up and the same kid, immature kid, who is just going to bumblingly try to do the right thing, but in his foolish, immature way, he's going to put on the spider suit. He's going to have do the exact thing that's going to get Tony Stark to come and rebuke him. It's going to all blow up in his face. He's not going to have an Iron Man there to clean, it up, clean up the mess for him. He's going to have to rely on his friends. He's going to get some help from an unexpected place. And then he's going to have to make the decision to actually grow up. And, But I couldn't have predicted which way he was going to bumble. And so you'll come back to me and say, okay, he's just bumbling. But when the bumbling feels so completely arbitrary, that's frustrating. When I don't even know, when I'm watching the movie and I can't even, I don't even know, oh yeah, that's obviously bumbling. 
because the movie hasn't actually set up the stakes in such a way where like, is Peter right to want to rehabilitate these villains? Is he wrong? Is this a function of his immaturity? If this, is this a function of new maturity? I don't know. The movie's not interested in answering those questions. The movie is interested in telling you that it has answered those questions. But at no point does it actually answer them. And so if you're, you have a, a slick but incredibly glib, facile, and deceptive case, because basically you're saying our hero is a bumbler who does random stuff, and that's the whole point of the movie. And I'm saying, well, but no, who it's wants not, to watch it's, a movie no, no, about no, no, a bumbler no, 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 who does random stuff? No, it's not. A, he does a he does a immature thing in getting the universe broken, but he does the thing that we love all our heroes for. Doctor Strange is the pragmatist who just wants to send them back. Their fates are on them. You can't do anything about it. You can't change it. And he says, no man left behind. And so, you know, whether it's Cap and everybody trying to get people off of the rock that is Sokovia, or whether it's Superman getting the kitten out of the tree, or Garfield Spider-Man stepping in for the bully, and no Spider-Man ever wanting to send any of these guys to their deaths, he's got a he's got a moral dilemma here that he feels, which is he may not know it. He may not know where they're going, but there's a sense in which there is he, he can't just send them to their deaths, especially okay, but, when it's in his power to do some good for them potentially. But I don't feel it. I don't care whether these guys go back to their deaths. I don't know whether Dr. Strange is right or wrong. Sure. Peter Parker can be irrational, but the movie can't be. I pretty much always know whether Luke Skywalker is making the right decision or not. I know when he's failed Yoda, and I know what the movie thinks of it. I know the movie sides with Yoda. I don't know whether this movie sides with Dr. Strange or not. I mean, I sort of do because I know it pits him as the antagonist when he needs to be for the plot to work. But morally, I don't have any idea what these screenwriters think. And that's really frustrating because it means I can't emotionally invest. And all the people that liked this movie, they would have liked it a lot better. And exhibit I, A, your honor, I'd like to call your children to the stand. <laughs> your children saw this movie. Yeah. And your youngest child was like, it was fun. It had colors and movement. Your other <laughs> kids were all just like, what? Why? They didn't feel the things they were supposed to feel. They didn't like this movie, I dare say. Now, they might think that they liked it. They might have come around and said they liked it, but I doubt it. No, they didn't. They, they they all seemed pretty just nonplussed. Nonplussed and or dismissive, actually. The old the ones that were mm-hmm. I'd say the oldest one seemed pretty darn dismissive. Yep. And the second oldest one, who's a girl, was trying, but also kind of confused. Just confused and didn't care. I mean, I think the most damning thing though is the oldest boy was just dismissive. Like this movie is made for him. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. fourteen. He's he's exactly. And he's right. seen all the other Spider-Man movies. Right, Man. and, and so this movie should be playing him like a fiddle. This, he should be this movie's organ. It should push the tear button, and he cries. It should play the laugh, but he should be in this movie's pocket. And the fact that it failed to get him is so damning. And I don't care. I don't care. You know, people are so. I'm sorry. It's recency bias, and yeah, people liked seeing Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, and this movie had some fun stuff, and maybe that's all some people are looking for, but they're not going to remember this all that fondly in five years when we've got three more Andrew Garfield things to look back on, and uh, people didn't actually like this. I'm sorry, I know I sound like a, a snob, but people didn't actually like this movie, 
and they didn't like it as much as they think they did. They like what they imagined it to be. They might they they liked some feelings based on their love for Sam Raimi and their love for Andrew Garfield and their love for Tom Holland and their love for Tom Holland. But this movie did not actually play with any of those things in a responsible way or in a way calculated to make emotional sense. And it's like it brought so much ammunition that it couldn't fail to hit a few targets. You know, this is like a Gatling gun or something like it was just it was going to hit a few targets. It had the Andrew Garfield bullet and the Tobey Maguire bullet and the Zendaya bullet and the Happy Hogan. Like you got all that ammunition. You're going to hit a few targets. You're going to make people cry. You're going to wring a few tears out of people. You're going to wring some laughs out of people. But you compare what this movie did to what it could have been to the nuclear bomb of quintessential classic entertainment that it could have been. There's, there's, there's just no question in my mind that this movie's anything but a failure. This movie should have been bigger than Infinity War. Yeah, it should have been. And, and, and I'm not a hard sell. Like I cried a little bit during Ghostbusters. Ben always likes to say, like, it didn't make me cry. I wouldn't give my tears. I do not give my water to I always like to say that. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's pretty true. But I, I do give, uh, like, like Paul Atreides himself, I do give my water to movies. <laughs> but but I, Ben doesn't feel like we're being fair to him. You don't always no. say that. You've said it two or three times. I, but. You've said it in, like, two, like, the last three movies maybe, that we've seen. Maybe you said, you said it about Ghostbusters, I'll, James Bond, and maybe one other thing. This, well, including I'll, this one. I'll, Usually it's for, usually I might feel an urge to cry, mm-hmm. actually. And then for a moral reason, I'll think, I, and maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> Just think, no, I can't. No, you might be the best of us. I'm, I'm not moral enough to stop it. I'll be like, this movie wants me to cry and there's violins on the soundtrack and I shouldn't cry, but I'm going to cry anyway, you know? Oh, I mostly cried through the whole second half of this movie. Right. Oh. But I didn't. I, I don't think this movie rang. I think actually it wrung a tear out of me when Aunt May died just simply because Marissa Tomei is a good actor and Tom Holland's mm-hmm. a good actor and his watching any. And they like lived in that scene longer than. I know. Than I was going to say. Simba lived yeah, with Mufasa. When he says move like, your eyes or something, it's like Tom Holland can do that stuff in his sleep and make you cry. He's just a, a great performer. And it's similar to things that Robert Downey Jr. or Chris Evans did in the earlier Marvel movies where you're like, eh, yeah. it doesn't really make emotional sense, but I buy it because these guys are selling it so hard. Um, but this movie just, it didn't really have me. Like I said, I thought the spider people were cute when they were all together. I mean, it didn't do any of that stuff nearly in the caliber that Spider-Verse did, mm. did did all that stuff so effortlessly deserved to be so much better than it was it really did like, well and yeah. frankly with spider-verse existing it had a template like just rip off spider-verse and sub in toby Maguire and garfield i know you can't do that exactly but you've you've seen how to do this kind of meta mm-hmm. spider-man movie <laughs> like yeah you don't you have can't, any you can't you can't be afraid to echo it right i found myself wishing they did this stupid thing where they you know have the moment where they introduce Garfield and Maguire and show the flip side of the let's let's see where they were when they got zapped and pulled into this mm. universe. Let's reestablish them in their own world before we bring them into ours. Which is something that Spider-Verse did so effortlessly in like these little 30 second things, which is a different kind of movie and it had its own yeah. gimmicky way of doing that that this movie Yeah, couldn't. and you can't steal the gimmick, but still you could be like, "Oh, crap, we have to figure out how to do our own version of of that." Of that. Because look at how effective it was, and if we just cold, if we try to do this cold, like we're we're not gonna, yeah. 
<sighs> well, and here's something I would ask of anyone who liked this movie. Here's something I would ask of the devil's advocate or any devil's advocate. And this is, I began to process this question around the time of Rogue One because I was just like, if you just saw this movie and you didn't know Star Wars, you didn't know who Darth Vader was, you didn't know what the Death Star was, you'd just be like, what is this? This doesn't, this isn't actually telling a story. It's just a bunch of references. And, and it actually works really powerful, powerfully if you know the stuff. Mm-hmm. But, but what if you didn't know the stuff? Like, is there actually a movie here? But, I mean, we've gone round about this too. You, it's, it would be bad filmmaking to make a movie in a context where you pretended like the context wasn't there and it'd be super boring mm-hmm. to reestablish yep. all the context that absolutely everybody brings to the movie. One of the fun things about Rogue One is it doesn't have to. Right, and, and I admit that. I came around on that and Rogue One works, but I would still say, you know what would be better is if Rogue One was a movie and uh, exhibit A of that, Your Honor, Spider-Verse. It pays off mm-hmm. so well for people who know Spider-Man, but I submit to you, you could walk in cold, not know Spider-Man from Batman, and you'd still have an entertaining, well-told story. No, 100%. Story. My kids saw Spider-Verse before... Se- when did that movie come out? 2018? 2017? 2016? 2018, I think. No, yeah. 2018. It, so, so maybe they had seen Tom Holland, Spider-Man, and a couple of things. Right. But when they saw Spider-Verse, they had not seen Raimi and they had not seen Garfield and they didn't know Jack Squad about Uncle Ben or anything like that. Right. And the movie is plastered with references and callbacks and in-jokes and Which stuff like that. Which has only just gotten more rich as I've introduced them to more of Spider-Man and they're like, oh, that's like in Spider-Verse. But it also tells a emotionally complete story that goes from A to B to C, sets up a father figure, pays off a father figure, da And- Imagine this movie that we're talking about, Far From Homecoming, if you didn't know who Tom Holland was, if you didn't know who Andrew Garfield was, if you didn't know who Doc Ock was, like, is there even a movie? Does it even make sense? Are these characters like, like, do you understand who Green Goblin is? And like, I've already, I've already said, even knowing who Green Goblin is, it still doesn't really make that, or Electro, it's, they're still being arbitrary. Now imagine if you didn't have, and I, 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 I think it's fair for Jake to say this movie shouldn't pretend like it exists outside of the context, but I think it's equally fair for me to say, can you tell a story that makes sense? Can you build a sturdy structure for your story so that it works as a story and doesn't just rely on those references? I mean, Rogue One is an interesting example because I don't know, maybe it plays okay as, as just the story of a little underground sector splinter of a rebellion that goes on a suicide mission. I mean, at least there's something there, but I don't think that this even makes sense outside of the larger continuity. Well, it's not trying to make sense out of the continuity. And I think you have to take it on those terms. It picks up in media rests with where the, that's fine, but it has to bring its own emotional logic, I guess. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get off the hook of having emotional logic just because it's doing things in media rest. No one episode of a TV show, you, you, you drop into an episode of a Mad Men or a Breaking Bad or something, it still has to have emotional logic. I don't necessarily have to understand that emotional logic if I don't know who the characters are, but it has to be there. You can't just be like, you know these things, so therefore you feel these things. 
Usually, usually, if you do that, though, in a show like that, each episode has enough of that that it'll pull you along. You may not understand how the characters got here, but you do have a sense of, oh, this is the direction, this is the arc I'm kind of in the middle of, or where I seem to be, and it will, it will catch your interest. It will make you feel like you want to invest if it's doing, if it's, doing its work. Right. Well, and also, you'll be able to be like, well, they're behaving this way here, so I can kind of make an educated guess what the earlier episodes might have been like. Mm-hmm. You watch this, you wouldn't, have been able, you wouldn't tell me anything about who Doctor Strange is based on seeing Doctor Strange here. You, you, you would, your guess as to who this guy would be would actually be completely wrong. You'd be like, well, he's an arbitrary, fun-loving doofus that makes mistakes and works for B.D. Wong's character, I guess. I mean, that's what you'd get. And that's not who Doctor Strange was in any of these these other movies. Guilty. I say this movie is guilty. <sighs> it's sad. I really like Spider-Man. I really wanted a good yeah, Spider-Man movie. Yeah. yeah. We all did. I went and watched clips of Amazing Spider-Man 2 last night. Yeah. I did that too. Yeah. I almost posted the clip you posted. I was like, maybe this will feel to them like I'm trolling them when I'm not. But then you did. <laughs> yeah. All right. I didn't post Emma Stone's death scene. Yeah. I thought about it. Pretty great scene. That clock tower fight might be the single best Spider-Man action scene of all time, actually. Unfortunately. Unfortunate because the movie is so sloppy with it, but it's, great. I, it's a great scene. I would argue for Doc Ock Train or something from Spider-Verse, maybe, actually. But, would you? But it, I'm, I'm, I'm partial to that one. It'd be in the top five. For sure, sure. Sure. All right. I've gone too far and not made space for idiots, right? I don't know. I feel so sad. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I, I felt like I mounted the best possible defense, but I had to read it because I didn't, I don't even partially really believe it. I mean, I, I, but I do, but I think it's, I think if you had to corner the writers or whatever, <laughs> corner Feige and say, what was the goal? What was the story you were trying to tell? I think I nailed that. I think that you nailed it. But I don't... I just think your defense was so good, it it made me show my teeth more than I probably wanted, should have or wanted to, but... Maybe I shouldn't have tried so hard, but I felt like we were all going to trounce something that everybody is going to love, and nobody is going to be sympathetic with us for... Like, people Mm. who might give us a pass on Dune, they're not going to give us a pass on this one. No. And so I thought... I really need to actually do the work to try to mount the most credible defense I can so that we feel fair. Well, maybe I'll leave this conversation in. That might actually help. Mm-hmm. Let me think of a movie like this that I like. What's a movie where it's something, where it's a thing that I just like and it plays- I don't think I've ever written a devil's advocate argument in my life before this one. No, that was, <laughs> yeah. That shows you how simultaneously ricky, rickety it I've was. I never but, had to try that hard. Right. It was a noble, it was a noble effort. Oh, it was. Uh-huh. Exactly two written pieces on this show now. <laughs> born born out of your sadness and anger at the failure of this movie. Spider-Man just brings out the the essayist in both me and Jake. <laughs> we, we got the famous ritual decoupled from meaning essay and now the in praise of far from. <laughs> no way home. No way home. So now, Ben, you have to write a Spider-Man essay next I'm time sure you make a Spider-Man movie. I'm trying to think, what is something that I just like, like, what is the equivalent to this in my life? Something that just plays on tropes and brings in characters that, and I just don't care that it's bad. It's, it's like, it's just doing, 
it's just humming a melody that I remember from my childhood. And I'm just, I mean, I know I have things like this. I mean, the thing to compare it to, the most obvious comparison point is going to be the Mandalorian. Yeah, I was thinking along the Actually, here's probably a comparison point that gives more to, that makes us look worse and therefore gives more to Spider-Man. The, the, the prequel trilogy. We are apologists for that because we like the world, because we like the tech, because we like what it's trying to do, because we just think it's kind of fun to live there. But uh, those movies are terrible. They don't they don't actually hold together as stories. They're really, bad they're really bad. They're poorly acted. They're poorly written. They're poorly written. They're poorly acted. You could accuse them of many greater crimes in terms of basic storytelling logic than than anything that Marvel's ever done. I think even, no emotional logic to them at all. Actually, even I mean, yeah. I, I think even there, I would say there George Lucas for all he actually does have a dopey moral sense that transcends the badness of his writing. Like he knows what a bad guy is and he knows what a good guy is. And he kind Mm, of, but even there he makes stupid mistakes. Well, it's like, you don't know you, you can, you can watch seven seasons of the clone wars and figure out that the Jedi council is corrupt. Mm -hmm. But if all you do is come to those movies, are they idiots? Right. Are they corrupt? Mm -hmm. Are they supposed to be the good guys? Does George here? Lucas know the difference between idiot yeah. and corrupt? Yeah, mm-hmm. like the the moral sense gets really it's really weird. Yeah. And you know, I want to give you the Mandalorian being another example, but when I think about it, I'm like, okay, sure, Luke Skywalker shows up, we all go nuts and throw our popcorn in the air because we're happy that Luke Skywalker showed up and it's not based on anything that the Mandalorian has set up. It's just based on nostalgia. But in the context of that particular story, we've set up that a Jedi savior is going to set up, is going to show up, and it actually does make enough emotional sense to carry someone along who doesn't know who Luke Skywalker is. And that's kind of what you have to do in these kinds yeah, of stories. Yeah, you can actually mm-hmm. come to, you can come to the Mandalorian cold as a story. Yes. And have no Star Wars context whatsoever and know that some weird mystical thing like wizardry thing is going on with this child. And there's this like race, there's like some race or something cast or something of space wizards out there. And we haven't seen them yet. Oh, we saw a little bit of one in Ahsoka Mm. and she's got a cool laser sword, but now the master is coming. Whoever this weird guy with the green lightsaber is all that plays really great in and of itself and you see the master and you're like oh i understand a lot about him and i want to know what his other adventures are and i can extrapolate Mm -hmm. quite a bit actually he seems like a zen dude who knows how to kill the crap out of robots and it it takes the mandalorian that our awesome powered up mandalorian couldn't possibly handle one of on his own right Mm -hmm. this dude is something different yeah yeah well it takes the mandalorian's perspective yeah in terms of what you know or don't know and so it lets you have have the fun of him being naive about the Force and being someone who's seen all the Star Wars movies or just being someone who has seen no Star Wars. Right. Take but your it, pick. But it, plays- it is as naive about the Force as Mando is. Right. And, and uh, right. In, in a perfect Spider-Man movie, like if, if, if we had to sit down and crack the Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, Tom Holland team-up movie, you, 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 that's, that's what we'd aim for. You want this to yes. play really well for someone who doesn't know who... 
what you want. I mean, even if you're just being a cynical studio guy, what you want is to be like, hey, kids, did you know that these, there are whole sets of other Spider-Man movies out there? Available now on home video <laughs> and streaming options. All Yeah, exactly. That when you leave the theater, you can go beg your dad who grew up with these movies to play them mm-hmm. and he will. <laughs> and he will spend money and rent them or buy them. And we'll have them all, you can have them all full price right now and everybody's going to pay for them and you can bump the rental up from $3.99 to $6.99 and people will pay for it. And like, it would happen. Like, and it is happening. In fact, it is happening right now anyway. And I guess that's what they knew. What they knew is it doesn't matter. (laughs) People are going to be paying. Mm -hmm. And so it is like, if you look at the iTunes charts right now, all of the old Spider-Man movies are like in the top Mm -hmm. 10. And they're all full price, and it's, but wow. but still. Well, I think that that's why my, I, my kids did not come out saying, "Let's rewatch all that." Let's go watch those movies, and whatever that means about my kids. But I think it's pretty, and I think it, I think it's pretty fair. I don't think that you've raised. I mean, for people who don't know Jake's kids, I don't think he's raised a bunch of cynics. I don't or think snobs. They, I don't think they've been overexposed to media such that they were prepared to just be like, "Yawn, another Spider Man movie." I think they were there to have a good time. Yeah, I, they they were jazzed and excited. I picked them up from school, surprised them in the parking lot. I had got them all in the truck. I had the Spider-Man, the Danny Elfman score playing. It took them a minute to put together where we were going. They got really excited about it. We got to the movie theater. We waited 20 minutes in the rain and cold for Nathan and Ben to show up. They're just jazzed. <laughs> <laughs> their their warmth, the warmth of excitement kept them mm-hmm. kept them warm. Huh. And yeah, and then they were all all of them. Just not. I try to get them to to talk about it on the way home. It's like Ian's favorite part was the end credits. What about if your kids were all terrible snobs like that? <laughs> no, it was one of the jokes. It was, a, it was like a Ned joke. I forget which one. They're having a hard time coming up with things they liked or didn't like about it. Yeah. I mean, I was like, I was about to lean over. We, me and the Solzers and the Albertsons were sitting on one side of the theater. The Mensels were seated, sitting on the other. So we weren't actually sitting with the Mensels. So I was going to lean over to Meredith, my wife, and say, uh, be sure and act like you like the movie. We don't want to ruin it for the kids. And then she leaned over to me and was like, be sure and act like you like the movie. We don't want to run it for the kids. So we had the same thought. And then, you know, we get out in the parking lot and we're like, what's your favorite part, kids? And we're trying to put a good face on it. The kids yeah. are all just like, why are you, who are you idiots? Like, <laughs> well, why are you acting like this was a good movie? <laughs> I, I, I had the thought when we were walking out, I hope that Nathan and Ben put a good face on it and don't ruin it for the kids. We did. Yeah, we tried. <laughs> and then, yeah, we got out there and like your kids needed to put a good face on it, not to ruin it for us. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, and I was feeling them out. I, I had to go to the bathroom really bad. It was a long movie and the post-credit scenes took forever for nothing. Mm-hmm. So I had to run to the bathroom really, really quick. But I was still trying to ask them on the way out just to get a feel of, yeah, this not just didn't seem pretty let down. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been to the movies with your kids a number of times. I think this might have been the most demoralized I've seen them after a movie. Yeah. I would believe that. I think I was there when the first movie I ever saw with your kids was John Favreau's Jungle Book. And that was maybe another <laughs> demoralizing experience because they yeah. were all terrified by it. Well, 
this movie also has a, a ton of scenes of people just standing around acting moody while you're waiting for the plot to advance or action to happen. It has a lot of slow scenes, actually. Yeah, I have a theory because this movie was set, set during COVID that there's some editing choices and just some scenes that are cobbled together in ways that huh. you wouldn't necessarily do. I, I think I could actually spot it. Like, for example, during the, huh. the prison, the scene where they're all in Doctor Strange's prison, it's just like there's no way all those high profile actors were there on the same day, mm -hmm. having fun with each other, interacting in their individual cells. Half of them are CGI characters anyway. Mm -hmm. Like Thomas, whatever his name is, Mr. Sandman, like right. you think he came out for that. Um, just the way it, it, you know, it actually reminded me of the way that a lot of the scenes in the original Lord of the Rings are cut together where you can tell that Peter Jackson is just trying to make the short people, tall people stuff work. Mm -hmm. And so you have to suddenly go to these real tight close-ups just to disguise the fact that, you know, Gimli's not in the same spatial area as uh, Gandalf as this. And mm -hmm. you're, you're, the way you do your coverage is made to disguise something that's not working technically or mm -hmm. that's can only work in a certain way this movie in a number of scenes just had that feeling and i'm not like mr technical i mean i i think it's worth noticing those things and we try and point them out on the podcast to help people but i don't like to get in my head about that and be mr well i can discern such and such an editing pattern based on such but the, it has to be pretty kind of obvious for me to think that much about it in the middle of the movie but this movie just had weird, like, why are we going to a close-up there type stuff. Felt some of that during the prison scene. Felt some of that when the spider pe men were together. Like, it's just paced a little slower. Some of the jokes are fine, but the audience still didn't laugh just because the timing was off a little bit. Which the one thing you can say about Homecoming is it played as a great sitcom. Like, everybody, it really just, mm -hmm. the laugh lines landed and the banter landed in that movie about as well as anything since the first Iron Man or Avengers or Guardians. I mean, I guess there's lots of funny Marvel movies, mm -hmm. but Homecoming's one of them. Yeah. Probably in the top five funny Marvel movies. And this movie just weirdly didn't, wasn't connecting on that level for anybody for the most part. It just, it felt weirdly slow. And yeah. So I wanted to say that. And the other thing I wanted to say is I hate the plot conceit of resetting everything. We already talked at length I about that. Too. But I really <sighs> hate the choice. So, so I haven't read all of them and I don't recommend that anybody read any of them, but Stephen King's Dark Tower books, spoiler alert, famously end with the end of the last book is the beginning of the first book. Like the hero goes on this giant journey, he gets to the Dark Tower, he goes up the Dark Tower, he goes into the room, you know, he's been looking for the Dark Tower the whole time. And then he finds himself in the desert seeking the Dark Tower again. And everybody was split on whether that was the way to do it, but he's got the magical horn of whatever around his neck this time. And I'm actually okay with that. Like if, if it's like we've leveled up and we've matured. And so now we have to do everything again, but we're doing it with new knowledge or new powers or new something, new maturity, new understanding, new self-awareness, I can get behind that. And I guess that's what Feige and company would say they were doing here. Peter's finally become a man. So this is basically Jake's defense. Peter's become a man. So now he can approach his romantic relationships and his friends and his villain fighting and everything in a more responsible way. And he wasn't given the choice before. 
he was just a kid. He was bitten by a spider. He had his friends. He was figuring it out. How else was he going to figure it all out except with his friends and the people closest to him? And how was he supposed to know as a kid that he was putting them all at risk? And now he's realized all of that and he's lost Aunt May in the process trying to do the right thing. And so he's got decisions to make about all of that. Right. Which, mm-hmm. fair enough. I mean, that's that's in the text of the movie, I guess. But no, not, that, that's his text as this movie gets. But not in a way that made me excited to see the next three movies. Like no. I have I have no mm-hmm. trust based on this movie or based on anything that they've done that I'm actually going to get to see how does Peter as a responsible adult man approach a relationship with Zendaya? Well, it, it, uh-huh. And that's the thing that I just don't, you don't make this decision until you have the pitch on the table for what the arc of the next three movies is going to be. And how we're just going to undo everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I guarantee you there's no such thing right. that they made this decision because of what they needed to happen next in terms of the, the multiverse, the crap. multiverse. And they'll figure that crap out later. It's like <laughs> this movie feels the same. Same as the end of Avengers one, right? Yeah. Well, well, or, or the same as the end of far from home. It's like the end of far from home sets up the problem. Oh no, the world knows about mm-hmm. that. Spider-Man is Peter Parker. We'll figure that out later. Mm-hmm. And they construct this whole other thing. But I don't think that they did that with some view of, and then that will create the problem that leads to the memory spell that's going to break. It's like, no, no, that is not what you thought. Right. No, they had a different plan, I believe. They had a different plan. They they had a different idea, a different conceit. And the overall, overall controlling multiverse machine, studio machine of it all, jumped in and started moving pieces around. And yeah, you, it, it, what that what it means is you can't trust anything that comes next. Nope. To build in a credible way on this, and they, I mean they've always been this way. <laughs> always. <laughs> How many times I mean, we said it before? But Tony Stark <laughs> learned the same stupid lessons four or five times because we just, they just did not want to think ahead long enough to build. Mm-hmm. One arc, and it kind of worked there because Robert Downey Jr. is a fantastic once-in-a-generation talent that could just carry you along and find some continuity. Mm -hmm. But, man, you really do need a star of that caliber if if your writing is going to be this bad. And Tom Holland's not that. Benedict Cumberbatch, I'm sorry to say, is not that. They've got nobody who can make us forgive their, their fumbling, bumbling garbage Zendaya's not that she brings a lot but the fact is they all bring a lot yeah Tom Holland is really great but Eric Cumberbatch is really great Zendaya is really great Jack- Jacob Batalon is he's pretty good but only Tommy or only Robert Downey Jr. is so good that he doesn't need material right most actors need a script <laughs> most people most comedians need jokes well and most construction workers need blueprints even the best and, it, and it's not even that Robert Downey Jr. is all that great. It's that Robert Downey Jr. and a role fit like a glove and were lightning in a bottle. Yeah, whatever you want because to say. Because you the, can see the interplay between who Robert Downey Jr. was and what he allowed of the and yeah, with the role and everything. That's where the magic all is. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. flops in plenty of other places sure. as an actor where mm-hmm. he can't carry a bad script. But but they had lightning in a bottle with him as Tony Stark. And, yeah, Tony Stark was... And it got them 10 years of product that I was willing to be strung along by. Yeah. But I'm quickly running out of patience with this stuff well, now. Well, it's just all gone. I don't even know that I'm going to see 
I guess I might have to see Multiverse of Madness, but and especially because Raimi's directing it. But mm-hmm. None of us bothered I don't to watch come the out of, I don't come out of this movie wanting to see it. Oh, no. The opposite. You know, we'll, we'll see some of them. We'll see the ones that we think our audience is going to see so we can talk about them on this podcast. But if I didn't have to do it for a podcast, I don't know that I'd see any more. We didn't see Eternals. I haven't been keeping up with the Disney Plus shows. I mean, I'm just no, out I on Marvel. No, I haven't watched any Hawkeye. It's, it's just, it's done. The, we'll ha- I guess we'll have to see Multiverse of Madness and we'll probably have to see we'll do Thor, Thor and, and that's it. We'll, like, do, we'll do Guardians because we can't not oh, talk right. about Guardians, but that's going right, to be disgusting. Yeah. So, so we'll, have, we'll have Multiverse of Madness, Thor and Guardians, and then they will have failed to, to hook us on anything by then and we will not invest when they panic. And try to bring in Reed Richards or uh, Wolverine or something to save the day. Yeah. Well, and then they'll buy a private island for Robert Downey Jr. and bring him back, and then we'll be like, "Oh crap, maybe we have." Now to. we have to go back and watch all the things. I mean, they'll 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 find a way. They did it with Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield this time. They'll 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 keep reeling us in. They they've got enough money and. Well, they had people in Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield who were motivated. Yeah. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. doesn't have to be motivated to save anybody's day. He has a complete story, and if they train wreck after that, it's on them. And they yeah. better load up. And the more of a mess they make of it, the bigger the dump truck has to be. If and if I'm Robert Downey Jr., that's how I play it. And and I might still not come back. I wouldn't. But the only thing that makes me think maybe he will is the flop of stupid the island of Doctor Moreau. What's the guy that talks to animals? Doolittle. Oh. Dr. Doolittle. If, if Robert Downey Jr. never figures out how to put together a... He's got another Sherlock Guy Ritchie coming out. It's we'll not see Guy how that... Ritchie, though. Oh, is it not? No, unfortunately. So I, I'm not very motivated to... I don't know. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. needs well, to so figure out gonna how He's going to be opposite Jude Law. It's true. The real thing that Robert Downey Jr. is doing that needs to hit is he's playing in the Oppenheimer movie that Chris Nolan is doing. And if he can figure out how to stage a prestige Oscar-y post-mainstream uh, career where he can just be happy knocking one out of the park and sweeping the awards every couple of years, which is what you're supposed to do after you make a, make your money with Marvel. Or if he can find another franchise that just keeps him afloat, but he's, he's getting a little long in the tooth for these franchise things. So in any case, he needs to build a successful post Marvel career one way or another, or just decide he's happy to hang up his hat and do philanthropy and whatever else he likes to do. The the smart thing, the smart thing, if I'm Kevin Feige, I have already planned a reintroduction of Robert Downey Jr.'s character, and it's 10 years from now. Like, we already had one more contract thing that hasn't been Just closed. Off. Yeah. And, and it's that sort of, like, shadowy, like, for whatever dumb reason, it's Anthony Hopkins as Zorro. Mm-hmm. That's what popped in my head, you know? Because um, uh, that movie rules? Yeah, well, it does. But it is that, like... We have to go to the mentor. We have to go to a place. We have to go to a thing after the multiverse has sort of resolved itself for whatever reason in the timeline that we're now following. There's an older Iron Man there who's the father figure, daddy figure of us all still. But that's if I'm Kevin Feige and Kevin Feige. And if I'm Kevin Feige, I do a lot of things differently than I'm seeing on screen now. So Kevin Feige seems to like to plan these things not that far ahead. I mean, he's still planning five years out, but I don't know that he's planning 15 years out based on anything we've seen. Hmm. I mean, I don't think they had a whole Thanos arc when they started phase no. one. They had a, let's see if this works. We sure <laughs> hope it does. 
Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we can get to an Avengers movie. Right. Well, I liked the Spider-Man. I did like Ned and Zendaya. I thought they were cute. I was glad that they didn't try and make Zendaya have to do a bunch of superhuman stuff just because feminism, you know. I mean, I like these actors and I there there this movie does set when it's working, which is maybe about 40% of the time, it has that kind of fun hanging out with your friends vibe that Marvel has made bank on now for 15 years or whatever. So there's my devil's advocacy. 40% of the movie is pleasant enough to sit there in a brain dead way and kind of enjoy. 60% of the movie is actively irritating and emotionally repulsive and borderline immoral. But I'm glad other people like it. <laughs> That's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I don't know. If you liked it, I get it. Like I said, the prequels are my my that. If you just like Spider-Man and you like seeing them fly around and do things and then go watch Spider-Verse. Yep. Yeah. Go watch Spider-Verse. Oh, I I'm sorry, you just saying that makes me just made me sad again at the thought they could have done the Spider-Man sequence, <coughs> action sequence to end all Spider-Man. They have Marvel money. They have the best CGI. They have, they can pay to bring in a choreographer. Like, mm-hmm. well, let, me, let, me, let me make the actual devil's advocacy, the, 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 what I think is the real devil's advocacy argument. Yours was fantastic, but the best day fishing is still, or the worst day fishing is still better than the worst day. What am I? The best... The worst day fishing is still better than the best day working. Working. They gave us Andrew Garfield. They gave us Tobey Maguire. They gave us three Spider-Men. They had fun with it. They brought back Doc Ock. They brought back Willem Dafoe. And it was colorful and there was... It was splashy. There were good jokes. There was heart and emotion and redemption. And, you know, if you like Sam and Diane and Frasier, then the worst episode of Cheers you still like because you like Sam and Diane and Frasier. And so if you just wanted to see a movie, even a bad movie with Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield and these guys, and you have nostalgia for that, and and you just wanted to see Doc Ock's arms go again, then this movie was perfectly entertaining. I mean, that's the real devil's advocacy argument, and I'm not exactly sure how to defeat that one without really sounding like a grump yeah i do feel grumpy when you say all those things because then i'm just like it wasn't actually a good day a bad day fishing is a bad day a good day working is better than a bad day fishing and 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 the worst episode of cheers is bad like cheers should still try and write a good episode even if you like sam and diane and fraser in fact it's really cynical for cheers cheers writers to rely on you to just like Sam and Diane and, and this was so their much. one shot. This is not a yeah yeah. It's not just one out of twenty episodes. Hopefully, and if you like, if if the bad episode of Frasier gets high ratings, then or of Cheers gets high ratings, then that encourages the writers to be lazy and just rely on you liking side Sam and Diane and Frasier more and more. So I, I really think it's worth you. I think you can even say, you know what? It worked for me. It made me cry. It made me laugh. I liked it. And still say, but it was bad. Mm-hmm. I do just enjoy fishing so much that the worst day fishing, I'm still fishing. But can we still acknowledge that there's a difference between a good day fishing and a bad day fishing? And that's where I guess I 
I guess we as a podcast diverge with people because people are like, I just like fishing. I just wanted a Dune movie that did Dune stuff. What do you want from me? It did Dune stuff. Dune stuff's cool. I've been waiting my whole life for a Dune movie that did Dune stuff. Here, I'll, I'll be an utter grump and I'll say watching this last night made me not want to watch any more superhero movies and like <laughs> maybe not any more movies. I mean, that's that's dumb. But the first sentence was truer than the second one. Just like, actually, it made me want to go just watch other movies that were good. Mm-hmm. It, it that's made, all. It made me, as happens occasionally coming out of movies like this and feeling the disconnect between how I feel about it and how most people seem to feel about it, it made me ask the question if I even like movies at all. And if it's something that I feel like I've got to, do, do I... Do I just hate movies now? Like, which, which, given how terrible movies are and how terrible our culture is, you want a podcast. I'm just telling you. I'm just making the sales pitch for us. You really want a podcast where mm-hmm. the people have that kind of angst about what they're doing. Yeah, I, I think that's. I think that's true. I think I think you want Jake to be like, do I like movies? That's that's the guy. For one thing, it's just a more interesting podcast. Yeah, but I I would say Jake, you definitely do like movies. We all like movies in a way that's kind of obsessive, actually. We talk about them all the time off mic and, you know. It, w- without even watching a lot of them because we remember them and think about them and feel them and what made them work and m- what made them important to us. Well, it all plays into uh, <coughs> the fact that we all want to be good storytellers too and yeah. give yeah give things to our kids. Like what part of, part of my criteria, I was thinking about this on the way over here and I was thinking about whether or not I should take a minute outside to try to articulate it. Because if I didn't, I might forget it, which I almost did. But I was trying to think, what are my, what's my criteria for a good superhero movie or a good hero movie at all? And I think my, maybe my number one criteria, I don't even know how to connect it to what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Just the acknowledgement that, yeah, I actually do like movies. I do. I know I do. Mm-hmm. It's just that so many movies are so bad. But one of my criteria is, do I come away from this movie inspired? Do I want to be like the hero in any way? In any way? Do I come away wanting to emulate anything about this person at all? And, and it, can be, it can be moral. It can be... It can just be the matrix. Be, I want to burn the system to the ground. Yeah. It can be, it can, it can be physical. It can be like, man... I'd like to be as strong as that guy. Like I'd like to be as athletic as that guy. I'd like to be able to, I'd like to be as competent in defending the people I love. I wish I had that kind of uh, moral courage or I aspire to that kind of sacrifice or I aspire to just being that awesome. Mm -hmm. Like anything like that. Like you should come away from one of these movies saying, wouldn't it be cool to be, Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Which is why Andrew Garfield, for all the crumminess of the way his movies are constructed, he passes that sniff test. Man, he, he really does. does. He does. And and it's why you can go back and watch those movies again, despite everything else, because you'll come away wanting to be a better person and wanting to be, and thinking, wouldn't it be cool to be that? Mm-hmm. Right? And you can, like, for better or worse, that's what James Bond is designed to do, and mostly for worse, right? Wouldn't mm-hmm. it be cool to be James Bond is the whole premise. But if you can't come away from a movie, a superhero movie with superheroes in it, and it does not in any way inspire you 
to be like, wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be cool to be Tom Holland's Spider-Man? Wouldn't it be cool to, like, wouldn't it? I wish I, in, I can watch Into the Spider-Verse and think, wouldn't it be cool to be Miles Morales? Like, Mm -hmm. and you're into the teenage boy of it all. Like, it it doesn't matter, like, but this this movie doesn't give you any of that. Well, that's why it's so, because. And that's why my, that's ultimately why my boys walked away. Exactly. With mm-hmm. nothing. Exactly. It's yeah. because they want to come to a Spider-Man movie and they want to leave wanting to do flips in the parking lot and wishing they could and wishing yeah. they could climb walls and fantasizing about new ways that it would be if they had Spider-Man's powers. Yeah. Right. And if you don't leave the 14 and, and 11 year old boy who walk out of the theater wanting to, do flips and climb walls and swing all the way to the car. Have you even made a Spider-Man movie? That's a good question. Well, and, and, and superhero movies used to before Marvel and before Jack Snyder, they used to <laughs> reliably be able to, they, they would at least give you this. It'd be really fun to defeat bad guys. It'd be really fun to save girls and then they want to kiss you. Or it would be really fun to save some innocent person and then they're thankful. Like those three things are really fun, wish fulfillmenty things, and Marvel, especially of late, does so little to give you any of that. I mean, this movie has no villains that it's cathartic to feat to defeat. No villains that it will call villains. Yeah, no, no girls that it's fun to save. I mean, I know Zendaya is in there, but it's just why maybe I like the moment where I like Andrew Garfield's little mini obvious arc. Cause you know, he actually gets to do, do a Spider-Man thing that pays off a Spider-Man thing that he did. And, and really no, no innocence. It's just a bunch of convoluted like comic book lore stuff. That's not connected to any kind of larger morality. Like you can't imagine yourself like, okay, if I was Peter, would I make a decision like this or not? I don't know. I don't know. Like, and, and- in the other Tom Holland Spider-Man movies actually successfully do those things. They did. You could argue yep. about whether they aim high or low, but they aim and they hit their targets and they're fine. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're good little movies. I think this is the second one especially is doesn't aim high enough maybe, but it hits, it connects, it's good. It's, yeah, it's it, fine. It, it actually does. The second one, actually, I remember this. <laughs> it does leave you with a sense of Tom Holland growing up a little because he's dealing with lies. Lies is a theme and it actually, you could say it's, it doesn't do a good job, but it does do something. You yeah, can follow. Yeah, it doesn't have to be complicated. It's like, as Jake's saying, like, what makes a good movie? I'm like, it can be so basic. Willem Dafoe's bad guy in the first Spider-Man is so stupid. Like he's, <laughs> he's an evil industrial capitalist who gets, you know, screwed over by the man and goes crazy or something. But that's an arc. That's a thing. Like, I understand why he's bad. I understand why he has to be put down. I understand... Peter making decisions over how much, how hard to go after him. And, you know, he gets to save MJ and they kiss upside down in the rain. And yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Jake. You got to be able to put yourself in the hero's shoes. And these movies just don't, don't let you do, do that. They don't even give you like, I think we're all of the age where we identify maybe a little bit more with the mentor character, but you don't get any of that. Like, yeah. I mean, maybe if you're just the right age, and you feel alone in the world and getting having a couple of mentors come through a portal a portal 
A porthole? <laughs> a porthole. <laughs> <laughs> You're reminding me of a short story I once began to write, Jake. Oh, man. That's an in-joke that yeah. we can't explain. But yeah. No, we cannot. <laughs> no. Uh, having a couple of, of mentors come through a, a portal who have been through what you've been through, when you feel all alone and like everything's got to end, mm-hmm. you know, maybe maybe that'll hit. Well, and insofar as it and hits really work in this and, movie. And, and put you in it in a way that a few people outside of those specific circumstances can be hit by it. But yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <sighs> and, and and I liked that. As far as it went in that direction, I liked it. I just, there's so much of the movie that wasn't that. And you cannot pretend like you're going to kill one of those mentors and then. Oh, no, what a stupid, and then stupid not. joke. We said in our predictions that. I guess we didn't even say this out loud and people don't know it. We we actually called the whole arc of this movie ahead of time and we have it on mic. I will put it I'll put it on Patreon so you can And it's gonna be on Patreon. Glory and our And we said cynicism. that we said that the only people that would die would be May and or happy. And for a minute I thought they really I just could not believe they killed Toby McGuire on scene. And then they did it like they did the thing and then they didn't. They pulled it all the way back. And it was just like so but but that's how short of an attention wounds. span this movie this movie expects people to have. Honestly, it's such an insult. They actually, I don't think I'm doing an injustice to them. They actually expect to get some of the emotion of killing Tobey Maguire. That's right. And oh, then, they, they and, clearly did. And then to get the yeah. joy of not killing Tobey Maguire. I mean, and, and it all if within the space of about 50 seconds, it's, it's just insanely insulting how much they despise their audience. And then the fun of having a sitcom kind of moment about how oh you're in a lot of pain aren't you yep they want it all they want it all they really just they hate us and they think we're stupid and and you know what else Nathan? and you know what you know what rotten tomato says, says they're that, winning it says they're right they're winning yeah yeah well but but ah uh, we would not have accepted this movie as a culture in 2014 when amazing is that when amazing spider-man 2 came out yeah no, we rejected it because Amazing Spider-Man 2 tried to make a bunch of emotional leaps and stuff that it didn't really earn. And we were like, eh, no thanks. That's right. Yep. And its parts were better. And its parts were better. Its Way parts better. were better. And even its connective tissue was better than this movie. <laughs> yeah, it was. And, and that is really a, quite, a, quite a mean <laughs> thing to say. That praise. movie <laughs> yeah. is a bad movie and it deserved to be pan and to flop at the, at the box office. <clears throat> and it still has, as Ben said at the top of the show the best Spider-Man moments of any Spider-Man movie ever. And it's still yeah. in a lot of ways because of that wipes the floor with this movie. <laughs> well, and it has uh, so funny. <laughs> it has a theme song with lyrics for Electro. It has Paul Giamatti in a rhinoceros suit. And I, I'm not making a joke here. I'm saying even the things that are sort of stupid about that movie it takes big swings. I it mean, goes you, there has, crazy. You, you have to admire a movie that has some ambition, even when it's just hitting nothing but foul balls, but it's, I don't know, baseball. swinging for the fences. Swinging for the fences. Like, oh, man, does it? Man. And, and, and actually, the Electro theme song is awesome. It's really cool. <laughs> and Paul Giamatti in a rhino suit. I mean, there's a reason that's become a meme. Um, <laughs> like, it's, you have to admire a movie that. Take some chances, and, and, and oh. instead of a movie that's self-conscious that it, it's nothing but a string of memes. Yeah, Amazing Spider-Man Two is actually not self-conscious at all. It's like Lost. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh... no, but inside of it, it has the best Spider-Man doing the best Spider-Man things, and the sweetest rom-com 
of any Spider-Man movie. And even you could even argue about Electro is the most complete villain arc. Probably that's not fair to Michael Keaton's Vulture, but it's a good villain arc. I I would stand by it as a good villain arc. I I think it's good. I think it's too fast. He he makes the Catwoman from Batman Returns turn way too fast (laughs) with almost no motivation. (laughs) But but I but I but I like I like it, and I like the way that Jamie Foxx plays the like uh, Selena Kyle pre Catwoman. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Catwoman and Batman Returns still did it better. Uh, I I take it back, Doc Ock, and then maybe Keaton. Doc Ock and Keaton, and I don't care what you say about Willem Dafoe or James Franco. They're all just fine. Well, and you in guys have uh, I like arcs. Their no, arcs, I, that, and I don't I like think them. that Electro is any better than any of them. Named the villain whose arc gave me chills last time I watched, which was uh, Kingpin he, in uh, uh, Spider-Verse. He's, oh, he's, oh, oh. he's snapping the pen, and then we have this mm-hmm. operatic little flashback that tells you everything you mm-hmm. need to know about why he's got this crazy comic book yep. scheme. Yep. It's it's beautiful. It is really pretty awesome, actually. And it's the same thing that I love about Spider-Man. Everybody's got a heart. Everybody's got a motivation that makes sense. Nobody's a pure psychopath. We're not in the Batman universe where people just like to hurt people. We're in the Spider-Man universe where... Mm-hmm. Every, people are wounded. People are wounded and happy and trying their best, even the bad guys. And it's just really refreshing to have that universe and... The fact that Marvel's never given us that universe in any Marvel movie is is just kind of lame. Can we mention the fact that you okay, you guys check me if I'm wrong here, but the CGI in this movie is worse than Amazing Spider-Man 2, right? Like Amazing Spider-Man 2 special effects are better integrated visually. <laughs> they just look better. I will say I could be wrong. I doubt that. So what I, I would <laughs> what I would say is when I watched the movie then, yeah, it felt more state of the art then watching this movie now felt yeah. now when you if you're actually to put them side by side I don't know how they would compare but Amazing Spider-Man 2 felt like it was smartly doing the best and it felt like a lot of the stuff was tactile it's yes. one of the only Spider-Man movies where like Jake shared that opening 10 minutes it really looks like they just have a stuntman swinging around and it's no, the it's, only Spider-Man movie where I felt that way it's like his his suit is rippling like the fabric on his suit is rippling in the wind stuff like that yeah and they just don't bother for those kinds of effects in the Tom Holland Spider-Man mm-hmm. movies, which is fair enough. But sure. Okay. There's not one iconic image, image from this movie. I mean, uh, Jake, we've already said this. I think Jake said it, and we've probably all said it in our different ways. But the idea that you have three Spider-Man movies or three Spider-Men together, and there's not just like the poster shot, the cover shot, the iconic like shot, really weird. Like, what were they thinking? Mm-hmm. Joss Whedon's the only person... That's- that's See, who your mind goes yeah. to is like he he gave you that in both of his Avengers movies. He gave yep. you and he and he lingered there long enough and went slow mo so that you would have that moment burned burned into your brain. And they gave you they actually did give you several poster <laughs> shots that work as a frame, mm-hmm. but they never lingered there long enough for it to really just yeah to just fix tell, itself in your mind yeah you actually have to tell people this is yeah. the poster shot you actually have to do what tim burton does in the first batman movie where the stupid you know batman's <laughs> spaceship or whatever is gonna fly up and <laughs> right in front, in front of the, of the moon, moon. And yeah then, always fun um which is fun yeah it's fun yeah yeah uh, and you don't like yeah as a kid you don't think about it you don't think about the fact that this 
makes zero sense whatsoever from a perspective standpoint. Well, and if you were a human being standing two <laughs> inches to the left, it <laughs> wouldn't look yeah, that's cool. the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's two awesome, though. In any direction, except for the direction, the exact perspective of the camera, it makes no sense. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but it's a cool idea. Well, and also comic books kind of invented the whole like, I don't know what the comic book term is, but you're like turning pages and looking at panels and then suddenly you come to the two page spread. Uh It's just one image and it's Batman and he's flying through the air and he's punching the crap out of Superman and Superman's flying back and it's all so expressive and it's just Uh a big splash panel, I think. Is that? Yes. It's a splash panel. And that comic books invented that. That's what Spider-Verse gets. That's what Spider-Verse yeah. gets. That's what, I oh hate to say it, but that's goodness. what Zack Snyder gets. Yes, what, he does get it. That's he what really does. Tim Burton, who's Absolutely. not good at action, got that. Like, you need those iconic that. punctuation, those moments of punctuation. I mean, that's what comic books actually gave to movies is here's how you punctuate action. It's all built around the art of it all. And now we're making movies and we don't care about the visuals. What <laughs> is wrong with these people? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's really disheartening. You really can, like... I, I've said it on multiple podcasts and I just want people to continue to put it to the test because if you if you pop open and drop the needle in Spider-Verse and hit pause at any moment in time, you have a beautiful picture in front of you. Right. You have a beautiful comic book panel in front of you every single time. There is no exception to that. I've tried. I've tried. Well, like, and now do the do the garbage test of uh, is, is home body far from ducks uh and what's the anna paquin movie about ducks called homeward bound homeward bound no 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 homeward bound (laughs) (laughs) yes i know what homeward bound is i was making a joke but please correct me (laughs) no i you you win spider verse colon homeward bound colon lost in new york comma dawn of justice Okay, now I'm doing a bit. Although I still can't remember the name of this movie. No way home. Away home. No fly, home. Fly, fly away home is the Anna Paquin duck movie, which I like. I think it might be great. It's probably pretty great. Oh um, man, I, yeah. When it comes out on video, Disney Plus. Well, I guess it won't because Sony rights and crap. But when it comes out on video, do the drop the needle test in that movie and see if you don't just find some garbage shot of like Try blurry to d- rubber. Yeah, people are are gonna take shots of Toby and Andrew hugging each other with the sunrise. We're gonna get the meme shot of Spider Man pointing at each other. They did it twice in the movie, but the the landing they stuck. We'll get that one. Sure, that was the closest we came to. And we'll get them swinging towards the villains that they threw in the trailer and CGI'd out everybody, but. Well, and like you said, if we're gonna, if if you needle dropped around the point where Doctor Strange is in the mirror universe, you might get some pretty stuff. But whatever, it still wasn't that great. I don't know. It was fine. No, it wasn't that. Great. It was a breath of fresh air and the stanky <coughs> dench. I just made up two words: the stanky dench uh, crawl space that this movie was. But uh, it wasn't actual fresh air. No. And then, then, you know, before this movie, we saw the trailer for Matt Reeves' new Batman movie, and it's nothing but iconic images images of, like, (laughs) here's Batman walking through the flames. It's awesome. I don't want to see that movie, but it's going to... Yeah, I don't care about that movie either, but... Cinematically. It's at least interesting. Yeah. And and I wouldn't be surprised if we see it and we're like, okay, whatever. We didn't need another dark Batman movie, but he got us. It's great. We should talk about one other thing about this movie, and that's the score. Boring. Nothing. 
right? I'm they, trying to remember. Did they pull the Elfman if theme? They did pull it. Elfman in. Da, but da, da, da. They did like the sentimental kind of uh, Tobey Maguire's in they, love with Kirsten Dunst theme. They, they pulled in some, some Danny Elfman stuff. I liked originally what Giacchino or however you say his name did with the whole like Spider-Man, spy- yep. like that, yeah, was, that was, those, was fun things about Homecoming. Yeah, yeah that was a really sweet, fun, cool thing. Yeah. The reason I brought it up is because on the way over here, well, it was because of what Ben said in our, our text thread about this afterwards, which was the one take, what did you say? The one takeaway I had was that the score for the Batman is going to be awesome. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that which score is, just goes through my head all the time. Mm. And it was going through my head as I walked out of the theater. Mm. And, and That's pretty sad. <laughs> so, so, yeah. so that was in the text thread. And so on the w- way over here, I was thinking about it. And I actually flipped on the, the, the Spider-Verse soundtrack. Because all of those songs yeah. and all of the ways they use that soundtrack. It's a great the soundtrack. The soundtrack rules, yeah. It's expre- like the first time you see Miles, he's singing that that uh uh what's what's the jerk's face faces kanye or I don't know, no it's sunflower by what's his face i mean i can pull it's, it that's the thing but it tells you so much about who miles is right like first time we see him he's singing that song in his little sort of scratchy voice and doing a little fake vibrato thing and it's like guys you know you can use music to tell a story well, I mean, the best, the scene that we spent uh, an entire second podcast <sighs> litigating, the What's Up Danger scene is called the What's Up Danger scene because it's, uh, yeah. like it's, it's, it's a perfect yeah. marriage of image and music to make an iconically awesome Spider-Man. And what an awesome image, too, that whole upside down thing. Oh, yeah. It. Yeah, it's great. It's, it, it's also the kind of thing that Amazing Spider-Man 2 does in its best moments. Oh, it's yeah. mirroring image and music in a way that's really like, oh, that's cool. Right. That sticks with you. And for all of the annoyingness of Hans Zimmer being annoying, they got him to do a really whack, wackadoodle operatic yeah. score in that movie. Yeah, they fun. did. They did. It's fun. It's like somebody wanted to do some music that married with images. Yep. <laughs> that whole fight scene where we're going to hit the what, electrical pylons and play. <laughs> but play Itsy Bitsy Spider. Itsy yeah, Bitsy Spider. Yeah, even that. It's so, that's a big swing right there. And it's pretty funny. And it's a it's big a... miss as well, but still. <laughs> I like it. It was a big swing. Uh, <laughs> I like it. I like it. I hate this song. Oh. <laughs> it's fun. It's, it's so silly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can I, can I say another thing as long as we're saying things? Maybe. <laughs> Man, I am so tired of Marvel making these awesome opening credit sequences and then sticking them at the end of the movie. How exciting and jazzed would everybody have been if they took that fun, funky Spider-Man animation stuff that they did at the end of this movie, mm-hmm. if they just put it at the beginning and, yeah. and it like eased us from the logo into the movie and we were all like, yay, we're seeing a Spider-Man movie. Opening credits are cool and good, and they take you from your boring, drab world of M&M commercials and Homecoming trailers. Did it. What's that? Homecoming did it. Homecoming did mm-hmm. it. Homecoming did it with the found footage of Peter. At, you get your pre-credit thing with Michael Keaton and all that crap. Right. But then you get into the movie, and it's like, we're going to have this whole big opening credit scene, and it's going to be Shake Peter's little video camera yep. setting it up so that he can film himself, go fight Captain America, and then in the car with Robert Downey Jr. And 
at the hotel with Happy and yeah, it's like really fun setup. Well, it, it's not that you know the animated fun stuff at the end that they do, but it is like we're gonna take some time to establish that. Mm-hmm. Like ease you into this world. Yeah, this movie even misses the usual Marvel bed of we do a thing and then we have like the dun, 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 the logo come up and like I hate all Marvel movies, but still that logo comes up and uh-huh. the music and I'm like yay, uh-huh. my favorite movies, Marvel movies. Uh-huh. But this movie even misses that bet by doing like dour storytelling music and like J. Jonah Jameson doing his conservative talk <laughs> radio or whatever. It's a funny parody of Alex Jones, Nathan. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm glad somebody finally thought to parody Alex Jones and conservative talk radio. See, and he even starts out in front of a green screen, but by the end, he's got a whole studio and he's hawking his own little supplements. Well, somebody had to do it. Somebody had to take down uh, conservative podcasts and talk radio because the world as a, at large feels no kind of angst about that and no one's ever thought to parody it. Yep. So, all right. Is there anything else that we need to say about this movie? We've said a lot. I think if you go back to the final action sequence, you'll realize, I don't know. I don't know what you'd realize. That you couldn't tell what was going on half the time or which Spider-Man was which? Well, you'd realize that it's all very carefully and elaborately planned out and stuff, but I don't know what you, I don't know what to say about that. It is. You have the thing where they like, their webs meet up and they swing off each other. Yes. And- yep. Yep. But it doesn't work no. as a good action work. set piece. Well, we should be able to know things before the characters explain. Like when the Spider-Man are always, we suck. We need to work together. We as the audience should already be there before they say that. I was there. Eh, I wasn't. I mean, I was just like, well, they're doing some Spider-Man stuff. And now they need to do more Spider-Man it's stuff. Sloppy and yeah. It was sloppy. It was yeah, sloppy. I, I mean, I guess I was there. But not as there as I would have been if... George Miller of Max Mad Max Theory wrote, or or uh, a yeah. Wachowski brother, yeah. or somebody that knew how to do action was doing this, or even the Russo brothers. I mean, the Russo brothers it, aren't great, but they, I, I've they, not said it, but I've thought I. And it, it's sad to have had this thought, but when I said this should have been bigger than Infinity War, what I thought was I, I wish the Russo brothers had had it. Yeah, they would have at least given us a few they iconic images and some. They would have. That is that is sad, but it's true. I don't wish they did it, but they would have been a step up in terms of just landing the hole. Right. It, it's just beyond Watts. Watts did a great job with the John Hughes of it all. Mm-hmm. But when it, this is this is above his pay grade. Well, like I said, he didn't even do the John Hughes well this time. So, which which I will maybe partially blame on COVID, but still, when you have, all- I'm I'm gonna put. And maybe you'll just blast me for this, but I'm going to put Peter and MJ on the roof overplayed in trailers as it is as one of the top sweet Spider-Man romance scenes Peter. in all of in all of Peter Spider-Man. I'm, I'm good with that. The movie, that was when the movie still had me. Oh, you mean like in this movie, the when they're... Yes, my Spider-Lord. Yeah, they're, they're, just, they're sweet, they're thing. fun. That, well, that's good. I mean, what I thought about all that material was that it was good, but I just wish they would stop undercutting the good stuff with a joke every with a joke that didn't land every three minutes. And, you know, it was good. Yeah. I liked Zendaya in this movie, and I've been a little hit and miss on her. Mm-hmm. I hated her in Dune. Not that she got an opportunity to do anything in Dune. It wasn't her fault. Yeah, it wasn't her no. fault. But I... 
don't think I really loved her in the other two of these. I mean, she just, I, I thought she did well with the material, but I just thought the whole kind of like, I'm dark and sarcastic and I talk like this all the time. I don't know. It just didn't do it for me for some it's a reason. high school girl. Yeah, it's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm not criticizing MJ. I, I don't know. They just didn't give me much like what's motivating her beyond these ticks that high school girls have. Like, what are her parents like? Maybe we know and I've just forgotten. Does she have any like interior angst or anything? There's a, I thought in Homecoming they established some parent stuff a little. No? I don't think so. Didn't I, think, she- I think most of what we established was in this one. I mean, they're really cute together. Huh. I'm not arguing with that. I just well, and the they've got enough actual chemistry that they're now a couple. So. Are they like Garfield and Stone? Yep, they came out of it as power couple. Two British power couples who are Spider-Man movies. There you go. The women are both American, aren't they? Emma Stone is. is... No, they're both Brits. Emma, Emma Stone's American. Emma no. Stone's American. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'll bet you a dollar. Okay. So Zendaya. Emma Stone is an American actress. Oh, She's the representative. I don't believe it. You get a dollar. Yeah. I was sure I was right about that. That shows what I know. Oh, Zendaya. I'm sorry. Also an American actress and singer. Sorry. Weird. No. But we do have two Brits as our Spider-Man. We've and the two best Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah. The American Spider-Man was the only one that really never worked as a Spider-Man. <sighs> Although I still like Tobey Maguire. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I still like Tobey Maguire, too. Yeah. Chris Pine plays a good Spider-Man. Here's what I'll say about Tobey Maguire. Pre-Spider Powers, he's the only one that I actually buy as a dork. Yes. Like Tom Holland, he's pretty cool. Yeah. And Andrew Garfield's just a dreamboat. Like Andrew Garfield is never a plausible. He's just cool. Like you'd like him if you saw him in high school. Nobody would want to beat him up. He's just, he's just cool. Like, yep. Which, which is cool. I mean, he's cool. I like him. I like cool people, Mm -hmm. but he, he, I never buy Andrew Garfield as put upon. I buy Tom Holland as a as a sort of dork. He's a little guy, and that helps. Yeah, that's true. It does help. But he's a very good looking and personable young man. If like, they well, they should have. Uh, there, there's the dollar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm in the money. <laughs> One I, good thing has come of this Spider-Man movie. <laughs> I, I can confirm that Ben <laughs> Solcer is a man who pay, honors his yeah. <laughs> debts. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the if they had made Flash Thompson an actual bully, or yeah, who was actually cool, like if they had done if they had uh, uh, done what they did to Toby and put a James Franco, yeah. That's true. As as a Flash Thompson, a, had somebody be, or their Flash Thompson, be, like Toby's Flash Thompson, actually be just a big jock dude. Mm-hmm. Like anybody, like Tom Holland really is legitimately like five, right? Five, five, four, five, six, mm-hmm. maybe. Like he's he's tiny and he's petite, and they he's bulked up on all the movie magic of it all. Mm-hmm. You know, with his trainers and his diet, and probably his. Well, I also think, especially in Shots. Far From Home, number two, they he overbulked actually a little bit for Peter Parker. Like he looks so good, and they give him so many shirtless scenes and stuff. It's just like let this kid be a little bit more of a dweeb. He just looks too bulky. They they brought it back a little bit in this one, even though he had that early <sighs> Marvel beefcake scene that they always like to give us. Yeah, I mean he's five six, and Zendaya is taller than him. Oh, really? Yeah. Is he wearing platform shoes? I wonder. 
they don't actually hide it all that much. She's five nine. Nice. She's and uh, that's tall for yeah. a woman. So Ned's voice has gotten a lot deeper. Yep, he looks much less like a little kid. Yeah, it was a little hard to buy him as anywhere near a high schooler in this installment. No. He's in freshman in college. He's 19, 18. The real Jacob Badalon is or Ned? Ned is. I mean, they've all got to be like 25 now, right? Holland is 25. As in, I, I just had her pulled up I to win up. my dollar. I can tell you exactly. No, you win your dollar off uh, Emma Stone. She is, Jacob Badalon is 25. 25. Ben, I'm not going to hold you to this dollar, especially since we're here on mic. I'll be a nice guy. I'm giving Ben back his dollar, everybody. Oh. <laughs> I don't want to. I wouldn't take a dollar off oh. Ben. Wow. Yeah, they're all 25. You but I could have. You could have, yeah. yeah. Just know I had your dollar. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do know that. <laughs> what, what did you say, Jake? They're, they're all, all 25. They're all 25. Yeah. I thought Zendaya and Tom Holland both plausibly still played as like 19 not so much jacob Batalon. weird it feels it feels like like garfield spider-man is from a different era and time period mm-hmm. than the mcu but civil war was 2016 and amazing spider-man 2 was 2014 mm-hmm. they were really they really were that close together yeah well Franchise time moves fast these days. It's crazy. That's the other problem with those amazing Spider-Man movies. Everybody just felt betrayed by the fact that was like the first time that we were turning things over so quickly and everybody just felt bad about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah didn't, yeah. Do, didn't do it any favors. Now we're used no. to it. Homecoming was 2017. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> well, then final thoughts on Spider-Man. I won't ask whether you recommend it because everyone that's going to see it is going to see it. I guess that's true of every movie, but feels even more true of this one spider-man can't go home i'm i'm actually not doing a bit here let me see if i can do it just to prove that i'm not doing a bit i'm gonna do it it's not can't go home but it is no go home or definitely no go home won't go home it, is it go home is that in the title no don't go home is not the title <laughs> Jake's looking at me like I'm doing a bit because I do this bit all the time where I can't and, and we have another person in our life that does a bit where so they, something annoys them so they can't do the name. And yep. maybe I even got it from that person. I don't know. Not consciously. But, oh, man, I'm not doing a bit. What is what is it called? It has home. And it, it, the aspect is you you can't get back there. Yeah. Far from home is number two. That's right. And so this one is like home doesn't come back. You can't go home again. It's like that kind of it's thing. Like, it's like... <laughs> I hope Marvel is listening. They can just title their next trilogy right now. <laughs> Spider-Man colon anti-M anti-M. You can't go home. Spider-Man, no home, no more. <laughs> Spider-Man, homeward bound. An incredible journey. No, I really want to beat Jake for his thinking this is a bit by coming up with it. Now I can't. Spider-Man, Ben's like mouthing it to me. No way home. No foam home. No phone home. E.T. phone home. It's no way home. <coughs> oh, man. Oh, boy. Okay. No way home. <laughs> and what's and far from home is number mm-hmm. two. Spider-Man. Homeless bum. <laughs> <laughs> homeless bound. <laughs> no. Right. I have no final thoughts. No final thoughts. No. All right. How many web 
shooters out of 14. Ooh. Hey, I thought it was cute when they made a thing out of Tobey Maguire having organic web shooters. Oh, I, I wrote that scene and watched it in my head like months ago. I feel like we talked about it. I feel like we made, like, I felt like Did I had, we? well, I felt like I had lived it before when it happened. And so I assumed that we had had a conversation about it. I don't think we, so. we may have. I don't, I don't, no, I don't think that we did. I think it's just such a natural like point of humor. It's such an obvious thing. What, what, what I, what I, what I was waiting for, what I wanted just for a second was the other guys to be like gross and then be like, Oh, uh, that's, that's cool. Or whatever. You know, I, I think I even, I don't know where this came from, but I was totally not surprised at all. I was expecting Tom Holland to ask if, it came from other places. It came from other places. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that was a thing that we had already talked about and huh. decided would be a joke. I feel like maybe one of the other Tom Holland movies does a joke like that or... Mm, that sounds Oh, right. maybe that's right. That they, sounds they acknowledge, right. There's, there's... Yeah. That's right. That's they what do. it was. Maybe they it's do. like a talking head on the street that's like, does he shoot webs from here? Like they make kind yeah, of... Yeah, that's right. That's, that's a kind of... That's a Tom Holland movie hum- joke for sure. Yeah. 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 Ned was looking at pornography. That's the joke I always think of from Homecoming, which probably docks it a full star in my memory just because that always. But they make another porn joke in the second one and they make a sex one in this one. See, we're we're growing up. We're maturing. Oh, yeah. During the most lame sitcom. Yeah. When we really needed to be living in the angst, actually. And instead, it's like, we're all talking over each other. And man, not setting up Marissa Tomei so that she has a character to play later on. So, how many. Web shooters out of uh, fourteen. Do you give this movie two? Then? Two. I think I'm going to go a little higher. That's that's fourteen. Why a fourteen? Because a fourteen year old is the proper audience for this movie. Okay. Huh. Uh, we can make it a different number if you have a better number. No. Suggest the number. I suggest six because we've got, or four because we've got exactly four web shooters in this movie. Do we have six? Well. Do we have six or don't we? That's part of the question. The organic webs. I was always pro organic web because I think it's stupid that not only is Spider-Man, I've always hated the bit of lore that not only is, does he get bit by a radioactive spider, get tons of awesome powers, but also he's Bruce Wayne and can just whip up an awesome science. And I get, I know Peter's a nerd and does sciencey stuff and that's <laughs> one of his things, but I just always felt like developing his own super awesome, unlimited web shooters was a bridge too far for me. I, I always loved that. But I admit it, it's it's a dumb bridge too far. But I understood why I, Raimi felt the need to clean it up. I never liked that. I did too. You did like it or did not like it? I did like it. I thought it was cleaner. Huh. Organic? Organic. So you're with me is what you're saying. I was. When Raimi did it, I liked it. Although it was always gross. I didn't think too much about it. Yeah. I did because I was like, yay, they fixed that problem that I've always had with Spider-Man. <clears throat> Good on them. So, all right, Jake, how many spider shooters out of six do you give this movie? Ben gave it two out of 14. <laughs> <laughs> out of six? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it deserves a few more spider shooters than two out of 14, but... <laughs> yeah, it's getting, it's getting more than two out of 14 for me. All right. But, I mean... All I'd have to do is give it one out of six. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <To be> that. <laughs> you literally don't have a metric that lets you give it worse than Ben unless you give it zero out of six and say yeah, it's a that's right. total uh, disaster. So I want to say like. Do you need the 14? So yeah, no, I think, no, 2.9. I think 2.9. So it's almost to 50% yeah. quality. 
Mm-hmm. It's got a ton of great actors and a ton of fun ca- reprises, and it's fun seeing all the Spider-Man on screen. And it was a lot to ask of a lot of. I don't know. I just don't. I feel bad about putting it too low. I will say it deserves two out of fourteen. The scriptwriters and mm-hmm. Feige and like their laziness and general contempt of their audience deserves two out of fourteen. But I have to admit, I'd rather rewatch this one than a lot of almost any recent Marvel, just because I did enjoy the Spider People huh. together a little bit more than I enjoyed, like. So, one of the boys I'm most interested to see his reaction wasn't able to go because he was at a birthday party, and I'm tempted to just take him and watch it again, knowing everything I know about it now, having knowing where to set my expectations. Testing again to see is the imagery, is the choreography, is it like, am I being too too hard on it here or there? Is it like, yeah, see, and I'm never tempted to rewatch things at this point in my life, but and I don't really want to rewatch this one, but I'd rewatch it before I'd rewatch Shang Chi or I might rewatch Shang Shang Chi first. I mean, I'd rewatch the Chang Chi bus scene before anything in this movie, but yeah. I'd be more depressed about having to sit through all of Shang-Chi and get to that stupid village and stuff than I would be about spending time with my three spider buddies. Mm-hmm. Um, but this movie would be awfully boring to have to sit through. I was so much uninspired action and yeah. stuff. Gosh. So, so Jake gave it 2.9 out of six web shooters. I'm going to stick with the 14 rating system. Cause I feel like I need more finesse. Uh, or if somebody wants to give me, a, maybe I should do a third number. What number should I do? It needs to be a bigger number. How many Spider-Man 2099. movies? 2019. That's great. No, no, no. 2099. That's the Spider-Man. Spider-Man 2099. How how many? Spi- let's see. Three Raimi's, two Webs, three Hollands, and a Spider-Verse. If you don't count Civil War, mm-hmm. which I think is fair. So what is that? Four says so nine. Nine. Okay, I'll do a nine scale. I will give this, I will give it four out of nine. So that's almost exactly what Jake gave it. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty close. It's a little lower than Jake, but I'm not just blasting it like cynical hater Ben over there. Sorry about that. Almost <laughs> like the rhino. Yep. And you're charging right. through the Spider Man movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. While screaming in Russian. Get, get out the, pull, pull up the um, manhole of your optimism and sling it at me. that'll bring me down i think we have our (laughs) t-shirt pull up the manhole of your of your optimism i like the manhole of sam raimi's optimism (coughs) wow until next time (laughs) well folks we i would say until next time but we still have to pull up the manhole of our uh, patron (laughs) award of awesomeness (laughs) yeah if you if you if you if you donate $2,000 $2,000 more dollars by the end of this year, folks. We promise never to say that again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, folks. Let's talk about how awesome our patron choice award winner of awesomeness is, Jeffrey S. How awesome do you think Jeffrey S. is, guys? Jeffrey S. is so awesome that if he were in a Spider-Man movie, he'd be in, he'd be in uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. He is pretty high praise. Pretty awesome. I think he is that awesome. I think he might even play the role of Spider-Ham or Spider-Man Noir. Mm, nice. The two coolest characters from that movie. 
Jeffrey, we thank you for your service. Yeah. Thank you for weaving a web of patronage that we are happy to be caught in. And yeah, until next time. Careful what you wish for. All I was wishing for was a good Spider-Man movie. I guess I should have been careful. (laughs) 